Irene Cara from 1980, the theme song to the movie Fame. Welcome to Poker Fraud Alert Radio, the Druff and Friends show. And we're starting a bit late tonight, but we have a co-host, and I'm going to put him on right here. Hello. Hey, Todd. Yeah, hi. So welcome to the show. You just, you called in. I actually was going to call you, but that's fine. You called in. You're here. Uh, this is user J Jammy. Is that how you want me to refer to you or, or by your first name? Or how would you like me to refer to you during the show? I, the J, it's more Jamie, but because uh, my first name's J. Oh, okay. So, and my All last right. name's Jameson. I mean, my, my first name's actually Thomas, but uh, okay. everyone. Uh, All right. You put it all Jay. out there. All right. So uh, I'll just call you Jay then. And he is our co-host. He's, uh, I guess you pronounce it Jamie on the forum. And uh, this is actually someone I will be playing against at the World Series of Poker in the next event I play, the 1500 Limit event. And I have to tell you, Jay, I hope you finish second. In fact, you have finished second before. Isn't that true? That is true. Uh, Three years ago, I did. And uh... Haven't been able to play in the event for the last two years, so looking forward to redeeming myself and uh, hope you finish second as well. <laughs> you know, I was uh, I got third place in that in 2005. The very first World Series event I played was this one, and since then I've bricked it ten consecutive times. Ten consecutive times I've bricked since then. Because some some years they actually had two of them, so I've really had a hard time ever since cashing and the really frustrating thing for me for like the last three or four years is I have been the midday one chip leader like three or four years in a row and haven't cashed. It's just, I've gone in the toilet every single time after running it up just the way the cards have fallen. So we'll see what happens on June 20th, 10 days from now when we both play this event and you know, Jay here, he offered to co-host the show, never spoken to him before on the phone or any way besides the forum, but hey, uh, this is open to anyone pretty much, and decided to give it a try. He's uh, offered a lot of good insight on the forum during the time he's been here, so let me quickly get out of the way the fact that we have a free roll tonight. Now, I'm almost embarrassed to tell people how much this free roll is for. It's not our usual 50 bucks. It's not our bigger free roll of 100 or more dollars. Uh, this is a 19 plus 16 free roll, and I'll explain what I mean by that. It's $35 total, and it's going to be, only two places are going to be paid. First place will be $19, and that money was donated by Bubbles and by Fatman548, and second gets absolutely nothing. Third gets absolutely nothing. So where does the other 16 go? Well, believe it or not, 16 goes to 16th place. This was not my idea. Uh oh. Phone calls in the background. We have things dropping in the background. Just yep. shut the, just shut the door. So okay, that's good. good. That's good. So, uh, this is a this is what I got from the person who sent $16 who does not want me to say who they are. They said anonymous donation $16 for the 16th place finisher. It's in honor of the 16 wins it takes to win the Stanley Cup. Have a great show. And of course, the LA Kings, which 
I'm not really a fan of the Kings. I'm not really a hockey person, but they're very, very close to getting that 16th win and come away with the Stanley Cup. So that's what the $16 is for, for the 16th place in our free roll on the No Fraud Online Poker Room. It starts in 10 minutes, and you have to have a registered account on the Poker Fraud Alert Forum dated June 1st, 2013, not 2014, but 2013 or before, to qualify for this whopping free money of $35 total. If you do not have an account on the forum dated June 1st, 2013 or before, you need to email me, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, all one word, dandruff at pokerfraudalert.com, all lowercase. Convince me you've been listening to the show for at least three weeks and tell me things you've heard on the show that have not been in the show description. Convince me you've been around three weeks and you will have a permanent exception to win the free money. But you have to do it before the free roll begins, which is in nine minutes. And there's no late registration. Uh, I might start the free roll a little bit later than 710 in the future because I, I just keep starting this late and I hate having to rush everybody there. But it's in the No Fraud Online Poker Room. It is No Limit Hold'em again this week. Uh, you can find the No Fraud Online Poker Room near the top of the screen of PokerFraudAlert.com. You need a separate account to play there, but everything's free. You don't even need play chips to enter this. And uh, the money, as I said, came from an anonymous source for the 16th place. Bubbles $10 and Fatman548 gave $9 for the first place. And uh, by the way, Fatman548, I asked him. I, I asked the tough question. I said, Fatman, is this just kind of a joke nickname because you're really thin or are you really fat? He said, no, 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 I'm really fat. So Fatman accurately naming himself. Uh, but still donating to our free roll, which I appreciate. So here is the agenda for tonight. Of course, this is going to be a World Series of Poker-dominated show because we're right in the middle of the World Series of Poker. So every year we get stories out of the World Series that I think are worth talking about. And when I say stories, I don't mean who's winning bracelets or who's playing well or... Uh, you know, poker strategy. I'm talking about peculiar or weird or scandalous stories that come out of the World Series, and we seem to get them every year. It's almost like it's almost like this is happening intentionally, so we have something to talk about. You would think one year would be boring with nothing of interest to mention, but every single week we seem to have something new to talk about every single year during the World Series. So, and I won't say all of it's the Rio's fault. Some of it uh, is definitely not their fault, but still, stuff's happening at the World Series that isn't really expected. So the first five stories tonight are all about the World Series. Or actually, six stories, not five. First of all, there was an attack on a player, a European player, in the parking lot, in the Rio. This is true. It really happened. The guy was found all bloody. He was in really bad shape. He wasn't in critical condition. He, his life wasn't in danger, but he was beaten pretty badly. This is true. This really happened. So, should people such as myself be terrified of walking in that parking lot in the Rio, which I have acknowledged before, seems pretty dangerous. Well, there's a little I bit more. I've really seen many, many security people in that parking lot in the years that I've uh, 
attended the WSOP. I always thought it's kind of uh, spotty, to say the least. Yeah, yeah, that's what I felt too. So there is more to this story, however. I suspected the second I heard this story that there's more to it, and we'll talk about that. Second, second WSOP story. There's a Rio employee who was in charge of the single-table satellites there who was shaking down the players for money to get the table started. And when I say shaking them down for money, I don't mean encouraging them to play. I mean they bought in, they were all ready to play, and they were told that the table won't start until they give this guy money. You had to bribe the guy to start the game. We'll talk about that situation, which again, really did happen, and what the response was from the Rio about this situation. And is this something that isn't all that bad? Is this just part of Vegas culture, or is this pretty bad? So we'll talk about that. Going to give an update on the Negranu and Ivy bracelet bet. We are still alive. We have not lost our $7,500 that uh, Poker Fraud Alert bet against these two guys winning a bracelet. Talk about what's been happening so far with that bet. And uh, one thing has been a little bit surprising so far. Last year, there was a very embarrassing situation for the Rio. Someone took a picture of it where two people at a 510 no limit table went all in. And they were pretty confident because they both had the nuts. You heard me right. They both had the nuts and were not playing the board. Now, how is that possible in No Limit Hold'em? Well, the way it was possible is there were two aces of spades in the deck. So both of them had the nut flush. And they both went all in and they were both were very confident because the board wasn't paired. No straight flush possible. They both put their massive stacks all in only to see the bad news that both people had the nut flush. There were two aces of spades in the deck. Well, somehow this happened again. There were two aces of spades again in the deck in a Rio cash game. We'll talk about what happened and and why does this keep occurring. And I'll tell you a story from 2012 when I think I was a victim of an extra card in the deck, but I was too embarrassed to say anything, thinking it had to be my mistake until it was too late. Ari Engel, also known as Bodog Ari, and he calls himself that not because he worked for Bodog, but because he played on there a whole lot in his early days of poker. Big-time tournament player. Listened to the previous show I used to do. I think he listens to this show also. But Ari Engel was at a table at the World Series with card player owner Barry Shulman. And he called out Barry for taking lock poker ads in card player for a very long time after card player was made aware that lock was stealing money from its players. I'll tell you what happened when Ari confronted him. Well, we haven't seen Chris Ferguson or Howard Lederer at the World Series yet this year. Howard Lederer had claimed he was going to return to the World Series in 2014. A lot of people were not very happy about that. I haven't seen Howard yet. I think perhaps he thought better of it. But someone noticed that in addition to Russ Hamilton's picture for being a main event winner 
being gone from the Amazon room. So is Chris Ferguson's. So we're going to talk about how that happened. You know, Chris Ferguson won the main event in 2000. We're going to talk about whether it's right to take down these banners for main event winners when they've done something pretty bad, like these two guys have. So those are our World Series of Poker topics tonight. If you're not in the free roll yet, get there, because we've only got uh, two minutes till it starts. David Williams. Remember David Williams, the second-place finisher of the 2004 main event? Or he might be better known for his appearance in a foot-and-ass porn with a much older woman. Something he denied for a while, and then he was about to admit, and then chose not to and just stopped talking about it. But it was definitely him. He was definitely in that porn. He was in that porn before he became a big name in poker. But we're not going to talk about that 10-year-old story. We're going to talk about a new story that he is involved with the kind of cult-like self-help group Choice Center, recruited by none other than Daniel Negreanu. And somebody else you might be surprised about is also now part of Choice Center. We're going to listen to David Williams talking about Choice Center, and I'm going to read to you some quotes about Choice Center from an unlikely person to be in it. Well, I've talked about this a good deal on this show, on and off, and that is Dutch Boyd's 2plus2poker.com site that was the subject of a lawsuit by Mason Malmuth of 2plus2 Publishing, of course, that owns 2plus2.com, 2plus2poker.com, with clearly a knockoff site uh, meant to grab some of the traffic trying to go to 2plus2.com. Uh, This was registered way back, I think, in 2006, but a lawsuit was filed against Dutch in 2009, and somewhat recently, uh, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals upheld the judgment of $60,000 against Dutch Boyd. But there's been a lot of debate still as to whether Mason Malmuth, who, believe me, I'm no fan of, did the right thing by suing Dutch, and whether Dutch was really trying to steal traffic from the 2 plus 2 brand, or if he just set some automated program to register any kind of poker term and happened to get 2 plus 2 poker from the program, and, and then just had the page parked and never did anything with it. So that's been, her, that's been Dutch's claim. So is that claim true? We'll talk about a little bit more with that situation, some things that have come out regarding that. I have on the agenda here that we're going to talk about the loss of my car in the Bally's structure. So uh, I know I mentioned it last week, but since some of you missed last week's show, uh, I'm going to go over that again in very much detail and tell you some new things. It it won't take more than an hour. Don't worry. (laughs) No, I'm I'm just kidding. That was uh, accidentally listed in the agenda. It's not actually on the agenda this week. In fact, I'm going to remove it right now. I don't know how that got in there. And in fact, I will replace it with the story about Sheldon Adelson and the Venetian denying poker news the ability to cover uh, events there because they were pro-online poker. So talk about that pretty 
offensive thing that was done by the Venetian and Sheldon Adelson. Annie Duke, she appeared in a Forbes.com article giving business advice. (laughs) You know, if there's anybody who is associated with strong business sense and strong business ethics, it's uh, Annie Duke. She's the person you should get all the advice from. So... She gave business advice in a Forbes article. We'll talk a little bit about that. And finally, editorial for tonight. And this is related to some of the things we're going to talk about earlier in the show. My editorial is that you should always think critically before reacting to poker players' claims of violence and theft against them. It's easy to jump to their defense. It's easy to get angry at the wrong parties. It's easy to believe the victim because their plight tugs at your heartstrings, especially as a poker player yourself. But you have to think critically, and I'll explain why I'm making an editorial out of this and what I mean by thinking critically about the situations and why that's important. The phone numbers for tonight, 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355. You can also reach me by calling the Mount Charleston line. That's 702-430-1808. 702-430-1808. The Mount Charleston line is an old 70s telephone that sits on top of Mount Charleston, which is a big mountain that hangs over Las Vegas, a rotary phone it forwards to wherever i am but no matter which number you call you have to show your caller id you may have to dial star a2 before calling me and if you want to text me there's a separate phone number for texting you can only text this number if you text any other number i will not get it the text number is 702-623-1423 702-623-1423 if you forget that kind of difficult phone number, you can always go to the Poker Fraud Alert radio thread, which is in the Flying Stupidity Forum. It's called the Official Druff and Friends Show thread for 61014. And you can see all the phone numbers there. If we don't answer the phone, don't panic. Just call back in about 15 minutes because if we're in the middle of talking about something, then we won't answer. And I'm the one in control of the phone, so it's really me answering, not Jay. All right, so, Jay, I know you sat patiently through the agenda here. Uh, a question for you regarding your sound quality. Uh, are you on a headset or are you on a speaker? I'm on a headset. Okay, it, it doesn't sound the best, but it's it'll do. I'm just going to let you know. I, we didn't test this before the show, so um, it, it sounds a little speaker-like, but you, you can understand you. I'm just very big on sound quality here, but that's fine. We will uh, make do with the headset you have and uh get going with the show it's my it's my son's uh xbox 3 headset oh i see (laughs) actually those are usually pretty good like i've i've i don't i don't have an xbox 3 but i've been over to people's houses when they're playing xbox and i've gotten on there and you know pretended to be colonel nigel fabersham or whatever and usually the people sound pretty clear and in fact the is it any better now or is that worse actually it was better it got better and then got a little worse again the other direction, if that makes any sense. Like, it got a little softer. Okay, how about, how about uh, let me try to adjust the uh, sound on the uh, little side here. Is that any better? 
Yeah, that's somewhat better. That's somewhat better. Okay. All right. All right, so good enough. Let's uh, move on here. Don't want to uh, engineer the show during the show, even though we're famous for that. <laughs> so there was an attack at the Rio. And this this is something that I have always feared. In fact, I had a dark car one time very clearly follow me very late at night at the Rio, like 2 a.m. I said, is this car following me? And then as I'm starting to walk away from it, the car drove faster and cornered me pretty much right where my car was. And for a moment, I was very concerned until the window rolled down. And who was it? Who was this thug that was following me? It was Dustin Neverwin Wolf. So Dustin Neverwin Wolf uh, playing a joke on me. This was about five years ago. Uh, pretending to follow me late at night in the Rio. He's he's lucky I wasn't uh, you know, carrying a gun and shooting at him. But um, he thought that was very funny. But I haven't had any kind of real menacing person follow me or confront me in the parking lot of the Rio. But I've always noticed, even before this incident with Dustin, that the Rio parking lot, and you mentioned this too, is kind of dark, and there's really no security presence there. And I'm talking about the parking lot that is closest to the World Series area, the convention area where the World Series takes place. It's a very, very big self-park lot, and there just is not much security there. I always had the feeling like uh, if you want to mug someone, it's a good place to do so. And I was and always weekends too. It's a long walk in from the end of that parking lot, right? You know, and you you park there in the afternoon, and you might come out one in the morning, and uh, you know it can be a little desolate out in the uh, outer reaches of that parking lot, uh, one or two in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Like on a Saturday or Sunday, where there's a big fifteen hundred or thousand dollar no limit event, and there's thousands of people parking there, and you end up parking like way out there, and then by the time you leave, as you're saying, like one in the morning, most of those cars are gone, and you're walking to a lonely car way out there uh, without really anyone able to see you that clearly if anything were to happen. So I've always kind of thought, like, wow, I, I, I wonder if anything will ever happen here. And I always was looking around very carefully as I was walking, to see if I could spot anyone around because I, I knew the danger. Now, despite that, I had never heard of anyone being attacked in the parking lot. So I thought, all right, well, good. I mean, it's not happening, so it seems like it's a problem, but it, it, it just hasn't been. Well, finally, a story came out that someone was attacked pretty badly in the parking lot of the Rio this year. This was not posted by the victim. It was posted by someone who found the victim all bloodied and beaten up. And felt very bad for this guy. So when I read this, it really hit home. This was on uh, the 2 Plus 2 forums. And... When I read about this, I thought, wow, this could have been me. So I took a lot of interest in this story. But at the same time, just like any of these tragic stories that are told that occur at the Rio during the World Series or that occur to poker players anywhere, I had my eye open 
for something that may not sound right. So this is what someone wrote on 2 Plus 2. Last night, my boyfriend and I came upon a young man who had just been assaulted and robbed in the back 40, I don't know what the back 40 means, maybe the back 40 sections, of the pavilion parking lot of the Rio. I feel that it's important to share this story for many reasons. It's an instructive lesson in personal safety as well as the hi- as highlight multiple systematic failures in security on the part of the Rio. More importantly, it should demonstrate the need for the poker community to unite, demanding that the properties and organizations hosting poker tournaments like the World Series of Poker address the security needs of our event. Yep. So, now I have the phone ringing. <laughs> so, um, so she goes on to say, first the details as explained to me by the victim. In order to protect his identity, what little I know of it, I will refer to him as John. So his name is not really John. A white male from an Eastern European country, around 25 years old. John had apparently been approached in the parking lot by two men who pulled out a gun and demanded his money. He refused. Yeah, well, we'll get to that. He refused, and the next thing he knew, he woke up in a vehicle being robbed and beaten with a handle of a gun. John detailed that he fought back and kicked out the window. He then tossed out of the vehicle and was or he was then tossed out of the vehicle and was stumbling back to the pavilion when we found him. At this point, John was clearly traumatized, drunk, confused, angry and bleeding profusely from some serious lacerations on his forehead. I introduced myself and began providing first aid, trying to get his bleeding under control. Someone I knew was walking by and ran to get security. John was somewhat cooperative in letting me hold some pressure on his head, but all he wanted was some water, a cigarette, and to go back to his room. Security arrived within a few minutes, and I asked for some additional first aid supplies from his vehicle. But he didn't have any, so he radioed for some. At this point, John got extremely agitated. I quickly realized that where John comes from, cops are the enemy, and before I knew it, John took off like a shot towards the pavilion. Now security is starting to stream in from every direction. John makes it to the taxi area and sits down on one of the benches. By the time I reach him, security has surrounded him, and he's clearly scared, loud, and uncooperative in answering the questions. He just keeps asking for someone to give him a cigarette and let him go back to his room to get cleaned up. He keeps saying, my father's there, he's a medical doctor, he will help me. Unfortunately, instead of at least calling the kid's dad, security has started to respond to his lack of cooperation rather than address this kid's injuries and fears. The next thing I know, security guards are all, are all talking louder and trying to assert their authority with John. I piped up and told the bully guards that they may try to consider the fact that this kid is drunk, he's from a foreign country, and he's scared shitless. They did adjust their volume and approach slightly. EMT security arrived and took over providing first aid, and I went inside to wash my hands and get John some paper towels to clean himself up with. He looks like Carrie at the prom. I'm not kidding. So, uh, very harsh criticism of security at the Rio, and uh, saying that this guy did not want to be helped because he's afraid of the police because in Eastern Europe, uh, you know, the police are a little different than over here, she claims. And she claims that the security people, because he wouldn't immediately cooperate, uh, that they were getting louder and more aggressive with him and basically telling him, 
Oh, my sound effect failed. Let me try that again. Uh, basically telling him... I'm a cop and you will respect my authority! Yeah, so... Uh, that would have worked better if it uh, didn't fail the first time. Anyway, sounds like a very bad story in a few ways. The guy gets mugged in the parking lot. He gets pistol whipped. He's kidnapped and put in a vehicle. He wakes up to being robbed and beaten. And uh, even after fighting back, he's thrown out the the truck or whatever it was, the vehicle, and is all bloody and is, is disoriented and is stumbling back to the pavilion. And then after all that, security shows no sensitivity towards what he's been through. And just because he doesn't want to talk to them, they treat him like he's the criminal. This sounds so awful, and it just sounds like the Rio is this horrible place, and security are these aggressive thugs. But, you know, when you listen to a story like this, it's easy to get outraged and angry. But it's also important to legitimately take a look at what really happened, or what really likely happened. So, I don't know if any of you have seen the Rockford Files. It was a show from the 70s. I assume you have, Jay? Oh, yeah. Uh, A a religious watcher of it. I was, too. I really liked that show. So, uh, the Rockford Files, which I have to admit was a little bit before my time when it was first run, but it it came in reruns later when I was old enough to appreciate it. Uh, It was a 70s detective show uh, where the main character, Jim Rockford, played by James Garner, uh, was always getting himself in these uh, situations where frequently the cases he were work, was worked were not even ones that he wanted to work. He just kind of got caught up in situations that had to solve them. Uh, usually would happen upon a, a citizen like this who went through some sort of harrowing experience and out of the goodness of his heart, Jim Rockford would solve the case that the police otherwise uh, didn't want to take or wasn't doing a good job in solving. So this whole situation really reminded me like something out of an opening scene of the Rockford Files. No and yes. No, we won't loan you money. No, we won't accept any co-signers. And yes, your accounts are withdrawn. I get off at 4.30. So, how is it like the Rockford Files? Well, first of all, just like on TV, just like in the Rockford Files and many other shows like it, the person who gets hit gets knocked out in one punch. They get knocked out in one punch, and uh, they're just out cold. So the victim's hit, and he just goes da- goes out like a light. He's he's just out. But also, like on the Rockford Files and other shows like it, uh, when someone is in a vehicle, they put up a valiant fight, cause some kind of damage, and break windows, and then. They're thrown out of the vehicle. And despite being thrown out of the vehicle, they don't break any bones. They suffer uh, injuries that look bad, but are mostly minor injuries. And all they want to do is get up and dust themselves off and go back to what they were doing. And often they don't want to go to the police for whatever reason. And then Jim Rockford has to intervene and save the day. But unlike Rockford, the, the young man here probably wasn't completely innocent, right. at least the way this went down. Right, so Jim Rockford would not have wanted to take this case out of the goodness of his heart. Uh, maybe for $200 plus expenses, but uh, not out of the goodness of his heart, because uh, this sounded just wrong to me. 
I'm thinking, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Let's say there were these bad people out in the Rio parking lot who were looking to rob someone, and they have guns. And they approach someone and say, hey, give me your money, and the person's dumb enough to say no, despite guns being in his face. Which most people wouldn't do, but let's just assume that John here was so stubborn he would not give his money up, even with guns in his face. Well, once it gets knocked out cold, then it's very easy. They reach in John's pockets, take his wallet, and run off. That's what a smart criminal would do. That's what an average criminal would do. Even a dumb criminal would do that. It doesn't take a genius to know that if the guy's knocked out cold, you take what you want from him, and then you get out of there. Because they weren't attacking John because it was something personal. They were attacking him for his money. So why would they bring him in the vehicle, continue beating him when he's out cold, and um, rob him there You know when he's already... It's hard to lift someone and and get them in a vehicle. It's a lot easier to just go through their pockets quickly and run when they can't fight back. So that was the first thing that was weird. Uh, A second thing was that uh, he wakes up so quickly after being knocked out cold by one punch or by being pistol whipped. He, He wakes up very quickly from it, is still being beaten for whatever reason, even though he's out cold. Like, why still beat the guy if he's out cold? Uh, And then is able to fight back, kicks out the window, just like on TV, then is tossed out of the vehicle. And somehow, in all of that, the vehicle was unable to get out of the Rio parking lot. Somehow the the parking lot must be three miles long or something because through all of that, the vehicle is still there in that same pavilion parking lot. (laughs) So, uh, needless to say, this was... uh, not quite sounding right. And what really sounded wrong, what sounded the most wrong, was not necessarily these details. But you could say, okay, maybe the guy's disoriented and he told a story that uh, was embellished in some way or he, he twisted it in his head with everything that happened. It's understandable, maybe. But why would he run away when security's coming if he was an innocent victim? And that's, that's a stupid thing to say that, well, in Eastern Europe, you're taught to fear the police, so uh, he feared the police. That didn't make any sense. Uh, What did he think the police were going to do to him if he was really just an innocent guy walking out there and got mugged? The whole thing added together for me to believe that this guy was either A, the perpetrator of a crime, maybe he was the mugger and got beaten up, or... More likely, B, he was involved in some kind of criminal transaction like a drug deal, which went bad and he got beaten up. I said that at the time, I posted that on the forum when I read about this. It, uh, um, I posted about this on the forum on June 8th at 6 p.m. And in that post, I mentioned that I was guessing it was some sort of drug deal or prostitution situation gone bad. And that's probably why he, he, he... The only other thing I could think of is maybe he owed somebody some money and, uh, you know, they roughed him up because he didn't have what they owed. That that might explain why they might actually take him in the car, even though I find that part of the story suspect. Maybe uh, maybe he owed somebody some money and they were roughing him up. Yeah, that's there was the something, there was something to it. It just wasn't like a random victim situation. The story mm-hmm. just didn't add up and the, the refusal to talk to security... 
Uh, it was almost like he did get beaten up, but he knew in a way he deserved it and didn't want to talk about it with anyone from law enforcement because he was no angel himself. So uh, now the story was given a little bit of credibility from someone on 2 Plus 2 who had been there for six years with 800 posts named Janice7776 who said this, there's a Persian dude named Sammy who plays mostly West Coast who came into the Rio a couple of years ago with two black eyes and other visible beatings, telling everyone how he got thrown into a van in the middle of the Rio parking lot, beat, robbed, and rolled back out of a moving vehicle, and they got him for about 5K. He claimed he was going to sue them, but nothing ever happened. So I go, hmm, that sounds kind of familiar. Is this, uh, is this something that goes on every year and we're just hearing about it? But still... It just didn't make sense why he was so reluctant to talk to security to where even in his dazed state and his injured state, he ran away. And why his whole story just didn't add up. Well, I decided that rather than speculate about this, and this kicked off a whole long discussion on 2 Plus 2 about the security at the Rio and the parking lot and whether you should valet your car, uh, whether you should, uh, uh, whether the Rio was negligent here, uh, whether the lot really is dangerous. And uh, this woman who posted the original story, again, we didn't hear from the victim. We only heard from the woman who saw the victim and tried to help him. She actually met with tournament director Jack Effel to talk to him about the situation. And... uh, Jack responded fairly positively, saying that they put some new lights in there since this has been reported, and they've increased patrols a little bit. I don't know if it's really been done. But something that stuck out at me when she wrote her update about her meeting with Jack was something like, whether or not this guy was innocent or not, that doesn't really matter here, blah, 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 blah. I'm like, why is she putting that? She didn't put that in her first post. Why is she putting this now? I was thinking, well, maybe because a lot of people were questioning it. But I was thinking more that maybe she has new information and doesn't want to kill her first point that the Rio's unsafe. So I decided to go to a knowledgeable party about this. I was emailing Seth Polanski, who is the World Series of Poker uh, VP, basically. Uh, I think in the World Series of Poker power structure. I think he's number two under uh, Jack Effel. Uh, He's like the director of communications or vice president of communications. I I don't know his exact title right now. But anyway, uh, he is definitely the type of person who would know what happened there. When things like this happen, it gets run by Seth Polanski. He's also, you know, he's the one who makes statements to the media. He's the one who interfaces with the media. And believe it or not, uh, Poker Fraud Alert is the media. We really are. Uh, You might laugh at that, but we have a media pass. And Seth Polanski contacted me uh, about a month ago, if you remember, when I was writing some critical things about WSOP.com and the manager of WSOP.com, Bill Reaney. And Seth called me up and, and basically wanted to give their side of things and get me to stop being so critical about it. And right then I realized that Seth Polanski and the World Series care about what I say, about what is posted on Poker Fraud Alert. Basically, they have taken the position now at the World Series that social media is important, which is very good. 
It's very good that they care about what's posted on the internet about the World Series. They care about damage that can occur to the brand from bad things being posted on the internet or relayed on shows like this. So at that moment, I said, hey, I have someone here now that if I I need to know the answer to something or I, I have a concern about something that I want to see addressed, even if it's not about me personally, that I can bring it to Seth. And even though he's very busy at this time of year, I, I have a feeling he'll respond. And sure enough, he did. Uh, I emailed him about two different things. One is this. The other one I'll get to a little bit later. But this is what Seth wrote about what happened. And uh, I assume it's true. I I can't imagine he would say that. He wrote this to me knowing I would post it on the forum. So I I can't imagine he would say this and then uh, have me post it and have this be a lie. He would look terrible. Uh, But anyway, he emailed me the following. No one got robbed in the parking lot. No one got robbed in the parking lot. Wow. So what happened? He went on to say, someone was assaulted and it was a result of them arranging to meet someone else in the back corner of the lot to purchase drugs and things went south from there. So that's what I thought all along. It was a drug deal gone bad. He goes on to say, this was from someone doing something illegal and putting themselves in harm's way. We don't like the fact that someone was hurt in the parking lot, but it was not a robbery like it's been erroneously reported, and the circumstances obviously are quite different. It's surprising they didn't catch them because they seem to catch everybody smoking marijuana in that parking lot. Yeah, you know, I, I think that uh, John there should have pulled out a joint and started smoking it. Then, uh, yeah, they would have came right over. <laughs> I bet security would have been right there. But, uh, yeah, uh, somehow... You know, these people got away who did this, but the reason they got away, I think, is because John went to the back corner of the lot to avoid security. So this wasn't a matter of security not being there, which, by the way, in my experience and your experience, they haven't been. But in this case, security was purposely avoided by the victim before anything happened to him. He went out in the parking lot and basically said, I don't want security to see me. I'm trying to hide from security. I'm trying to make a drug transaction out here, and I don't want security to see it. So I'm going to hide from security, and then something bad happened, because obviously he wasn't dealing with uh, you know, fine gentlemen out there, and uh, he got beaten up badly. Who knows why? And that was that. You know, Who knows? Maybe he was trying to attack the drug dealers and steal their drugs without paying. You know, who knows who was at fault as far as that beating was concerned, but even if this individual didn't do anything wrong aside from try to purchase drugs and somehow you know got beaten up and his money was taken, uh, he w- purposely avoided security. He was trying to not be seen by security, and in that case, you cannot expect security to protect you. It's different than if I was in the Rio hallway somewhere and you know like by the World Series in the hallway and uh, tried to do a drug transaction there. And then the person instead beat me up and took my money and ran off and got away. Then, even though, again, I would be said to have brought it on myself, which I would have, at least I would have the claim, hey, illegal or not what I was doing, security should have been here in the hallway of the World Series 
to prevent anyone from getting beaten up for any reason, good or bad. And I would have a point. But not when you purposely go out of your way to avoid security. If you do that, it's not the World Series' fault for not protecting you. And that's how I feel about it. How do you feel? I, I tend to agree with you. Uh, just a couple of points. If, if uh, Maybe Eastern Europeans shouldn't be trying to do uh, drug deals in Vegas. Probably not a good idea. But if people are really concerned about their security in the parking lot, there's a couple of things they can do. Uh, I'm kind of like you, Trump. I don't like to valet park because I'm like waiting for my car. But you can always valet park it right at the front main entrance uh, right there. Or there's another lot on the northwest side of, of the building, uh, kind of on the other side of the Ipanema Tower. And you can usually find a spot in there or even in the uh, Goldport Coast parking lot across the street. And the other good thing to parking in that parking lot, even though maybe it's a, another five-minute walk to get to the get to the uh, uh, the convention center there at the back of the Rio, um, is uh, it's covered, so your car isn't baking in the sun all day. So yeah, these that's are, another these are... option. I've never had any problems or seen anybody lurking kind of in that northwest lot of the Rio. Um, so that's another option if people are truly concerned about yeah. that. These, these are good points. By the way, your, your sound quality has gone down a hill again for whatever reason. You kind of sound like a speakerphone sort of thing. Okay. Is that a little better? Yes, it is. So, okay. so uh, yeah, good points you brought up, though. And um, to expand upon that, there are a few different parking lots in the Rio. The most convenient one, the closest one, is that pavilion lot for the World Series. But there's also the structure that uh, has, like, a walkway into the area where the food court is, like the, uh, the Burger King and things like that, and the Masquerade Tower area. That, so that's one structure. Uh, there's another structure, like the one you described, that is by the Ipanema Tower, which you can find on the corner of Valley View and Twain. And um, that one tends to be more open and easier to get a spot. Uh, I disagree about the five-minute walk. I think it's about a 10-minute walk because it's all the way on the other side of the property. Yeah, it's a, I meant five minutes longer than if you parked in the, in, the, in the convention center lot. Yeah, so I agree with you. It is a little longer walk for sure. So, so it's a long walk. But, yeah, that one, that one and the one by the Masquerade Tower, uh, those parking lots are probably less likely to be targeted by thieves because they expect the World Series – players, the poker players with all the cash on them, to be parking in the pavilion lot. I think the one they're least likely to expect you to park in is that lot that is on the corner of Valley View and Twain by the Ipanema Tower. So those are good lots to park in if uh, you don't mind walking a little bit more and you want to stay safe. Uh, Or if you park in the pavilion lot, just uh, either just be careful or or walk outside with other people. Or uh, you can even ask security for an escort and they will do it for you if you're concerned about something uh but really i haven't heard about any credible stories of anyone being robbed in that lot at the world series in all the years it's run there not that not that it can't happen or won't happen uh but uh it the first story i heard about that was credible turned out not to be credible so uh i guess it's one of these things that is a disaster waiting to happen but the disaster hasn't quite occurred yet and you know, some people are still saying, hey, you know, I don't care. You know, this person's still a human being. If he was beaten up, you got to feel bad for him. It doesn't matter if he was there to buy drugs. Look, we don't know the story. He was involved in some drug deal. He could have been the one attacking the ones he was buying it from, or who knows what happened out there. But whatever it was, he was avoiding security. He intentionally put himself there with criminals to break the law. And, um, 
you know, avoid security while doing so. And when you do that, not that I think he should be beaten up, but if you get beaten up, uh, that's a risk you take, and you can't blame the Rio for it. And that is not something that's an increased risk to the average World Series of Poker player. Once I heard the story behind this one from Seth Polanski, I felt a lot safer that, uh, not that this can't happen to me, but that uh, what I thought could have been me would not have been me because I would not have been making drug deals in the Rio parking lot. So, uh, and, and you know, the valet, the one in the front, that one takes a long time too. I, I used it one time, even with a seven-star card, which is supposed to get priority, and I waited like 15 minutes and I would just get frustrated. I, I just hate valet parking. I just... I'm with you there. Yeah, I just like knowing, one, that I'm the only one driving my car, and two that I know where my car is, that when I'm walking to it, I know how long it will be until I get to it. Even if it's a long walk, at least I know when the walk will be over. It's just so torturous when you want to leave and you sit and you sit and you sit and you keep saying cars pull up and it's not yours. It's just it's just the worst. Uh, and, and then these valets have their handout for tips, and if you give them a dollar, they think you're being a cheap Jew, and you, you, yeah, they want two dollars or more, maybe even five dollars. I, I don't even know what they want these days, but it's, I know it's more than a dollar, and uh, I, I think the whole thing's just ridiculous. But even if there were no tips involved, I would hate valet. So, uh, but that may not be you. Maybe you like valet parking, and that's always an option, though it is very busy, especially the one that's at the World Series of Poker. So, um. Let me take a look at the chat room here. If you want to communicate with me, you can always do so in the chat room. I forgot to mention that. Uh, Jay Stat saying in chat, Polanski's job is to spin a negative into a positive. Well, that's true. And I always keep that in mind when I, I speak to him. But uh, I believe him here. I don't believe Polanski would just outright lie that this was a drug deal gone bad if it was really a guy that was attacked. I just don't believe that. I don't believe he'd even guess at that. I think they must know it somehow. They must have gotten it out of this kid what really happened. Um, can you ask Seth Polanski to unblock me on Twitter? Well, it's probably Jack Effel. Jack Effel, who is uh, at WSOPTD, this guy has a very thin skin and will block you for the slightest thing. So he even had me blocked for a while. And while I'm unblocked, uh, Jack Effel does not answer me. Whenever I tweet anything to him. He never answers me. Uh, Seth Polanski, I get an answer out of. In fact, when I email him, he gives me like long, detailed answers, which I appreciate. So, uh, Now, I'm not saying Seth is doing this to be a, a sweet guy. He's doing this because he knows I communicate with the poker world, that I, I post on Poker Fraud Alert, I, I tweet, I do this radio show with a thousand or so listeners. So he knows when he says things to me that I put it out there. And if I give his side of things, which is the World Series side, then they look better. But still, I appreciate the time he takes to communicate with me where he could just say, F you, I'm too busy, or just ignore me. So uh, you know, I'll give him that, that he has been very communicative with me whenever I have asked him anything ever since he first made contact with me uh, about a month or two ago. So uh, he also answered something else in detail, which we're going to talk about next. And that is... The situation that occurred, and this one was not a false report. This really did happen as described. A Rio employee in charge of the single-table satellites was demanding extra money to actually run the satellites on top of what the buy-in was, money he would just pocket. 
So this was a report also on 2 Plus 2 from a longtime user there. He's been around for about two and a half years. He has about 1,000 posts named PSU Mike 1999 And I've seen him post a lot there. I've never seen him accused of making up stories. And it turned out uh, this story was verified true later on. So uh, this, what I'm about to read you all really happened as described. I was at the Rio single table satellite area the other day, mid-afternoon, wanting to play a couple of satellites. This was just a few days ago he posted this. The guy at the podium, an older guy in his 60s most likely, wouldn't initially call the request for myself and three others for a $525 satellite. We asked him why, and he gave some incoherent answer. About two minutes later, he looks at me and starts singing, Greece is my friend, Greece is my friend. <laughs> and yes, it's exactly as it sounds. What he means by Greece is my friend is he wants to be greased. He wants to be paid extra. He wants you to... Grease him, not tip him. Tip him is, you know, tipping is what you do after something's been done for you. He wants you to give him money to get it started. So, Mike, I'm not sure if he understood it or just wanted clarity, uh, said, I asked him why he was singing that, and he told me that he made $200 the other night, and if I want the 525 single-table satellite to go sooner, I need to take care of him. Someone else... Yeah, outrageous. Someone told the supervisor, but they didn't seem to care. Just giving people a heads up on what to expect the Rio satellite area, just amazing. So then a few days later, um, or a day or two later, Mike went back in there to try to get this guy's name. Well, he, I mean, he knew the guy's, actually, he didn't know the guy's name yet. He was trying to get the guy's name and get more information about it, maybe even get a picture of him. So uh, this older guy was not there. He was described as kind of looking like uh, the dad on that show, Frasier. But he said, spoke to a woman named Tessa right before the 1500 was starting. This is the 1500, uh, no limit, who was at the satellite podium. And she told me she was getting tons of complaints about that guy. His name is Lou and he was off today. But according to her, he probably won't be coming in tomorrow. Again, she wasn't definitive on that, but all the higher-ups have been notified by a lot of unhappy players that Lou is basically trying to extort just to run a satellite table. Uh, so what's amazing is that a 12 or so page thread got going on 2 plus 2 where certain people were actually arguing that this isn't that bad. In fact, this is what you can expect in Vegas and if you do not understand this, if you don't understand that you have to grease people for service there, then you don't understand Vegas. You're just a stupid noob who doesn't understand the way the city works. That's the way Vegas has always worked. And that, uh, you know, if you want your satellite to go, um, it'll go eventually. But if you want it to go in a timely fashion, yeah, you need to grease the guy running it. And that's just the way Vegas works, people said. Others conceded that Lou was in the wrong but said, you know, this is probably going on a lot at the Rio, so I hope Lou doesn't get fired. I hope they don't overreact there and fire Lou because he's just the one who got caught, but they're probably all doing it, so they should, they should give Lou a good talking to, but uh, not fire him. Now, that hasn't been my experience in the years in Vegas that you necessarily have to grease floor people to, uh, you know, maybe get in a game or whatever. I, you know, I've seen that go on at the Commerce Club in L.A., but not necessarily at, uh, at uh, uh, you know, satellites for the WSOP. Right. I'm t- I, I think this must have happened like 
late in the evening, early morning when it was dead in that room. Because I played, I played in a couple of uh, single tables uh, last week, and they they were pretty busy. And and I don't think that's something you could get away with. You know, let's say at you know ten at night or or nine at night, it might be something he tried early in the morning when there was nobody around. Wait, it's possible what you're saying here is that maybe. Uh when they couldn't fill the table, because even Mike was saying here they only had four players at the moment, that uh, Lou was trying to give the excuse like, hey, we're either going to wait for this to fill up, or if you want to bribe me, we'll let it go now. Even though the policy is, uh, you know, once they get a minimum number of players, they have to run it. Uh, And uh, um, now they made a rule at the Rio, which I think is a very good rule, and uh, kind of has to do with what you were talking about in commerce, which I've witnessed too. Uh, at Commerce, as you said, there's a big problem where people jump the waiting list by bribing the floor man. Now, you don't have to pay to get in a game, but if somebody who does want to pay and bribes the floor man, somehow they get jumped ahead of you. The floor men technically aren't supposed to do this. If you see it and complain to a supervisor there, then you can probably get the thing reversed. But this has gone on for a long time at Commerce. And I always thought it was wrong. I, I don't think that's fair. People are saying, oh, the floor men need to make a living. You know, that's the way it works. You know, the, the people who tip the most get the best service. There's one thing. The best service is one thing. Um, getting put ahead in line of other people because you're willing to tip someone working there is not fair. And that comes to the expense of the other players. But still, you will get a seat if you don't tip anyone. You just won't be ahead of those who tip well. But... The Rio, they made a rule there, knowing that this might be a problem and knowing that they're hiring about 2,000 temporary employees to work at the Rio, including dealers, that they're going to get a few bad ones there and that they just can't have this tipping situation because people are going to be treated unfairly. So they made a rule that none of the floor staff is allowed to accept tips, that if you try to tip one, they were actually supposed to say, no, I cannot accept tips. Now, this doesn't apply to the dealers. So when you win a pot, you can still tip the dealers. But anyone who is responsible for making decisions, like the floor man, or seating people, like these guys operating the boards, cannot accept tips at the Rio. If one of them tries to, I'll tell you what to do in a second, but make sure to complain about it, because they're not supposed to do it, and it's an instantly fireable offense. And I, I'm, I'm very glad that the Rio did this. I'm glad that they, this is one benefit of a big corporation running the World Series. There are many downsides to a big corporation running the World Series in that all they care about is money. Uh, they squeeze the maximum out of you. The, the rake is higher. Um, there's a lot of things. You know, the whole experience is more impersonal. There's a lot of things that are not good about a big corporation running something like the World Series. But... What is good about a big corporation running the World Series is that they want accountability. Their reputation is important to them, and they care more about the company's reputation and everything running smoothly than individual employees benefiting from uh, under-the-table tips. They don't want to see that. They, They don't care about the individual employee and what they make for a living. They care about the event going smoothly and in not developing a bad reputation. And that actually indirectly protects the player. So, what I was wondering about, because uh, at the, um, you know, in the thread, the one thing that had not been discussed is whether 
or not tournament director Jack Effel was aware of this, whether or not Seth Polanski was aware of this. Some people tried to tweet it to Jack Effel, but he didn't respond. So I said, you know what? I'm just going to go directly to Seth Polanski. I'm going to ask him two things. I'm going to ask him about uh, this mainly and also about the thing with the, uh, the mugging. So I got an answer from Seth on this as well. It was the same email, actually, but I, I'm just splitting it into two parts for the two segments of the show. So Seth confirms that this really happened. Now, here, here's what I asked Seth. I asked him four questions. Number one, is it true that the floor men and board operators in the cash and satellite section aren't allowed to receive tips this year? Number two, is the World Series of Poker aware of the recent allegations against Lou? Three, can the World Series of Poker verify that Lou will not be working the cash or satellite section from this point forward? And number four, as the original poster in the 2 plus 2 thread claims that supervisors, quote, didn't seem to care, what is the best course of action for players when running into a rogue employee like this? So I got the answer to everything. This is what Seth said. And uh, this was a an exclusive on Poker Fraud Alert. Nobody had this answer until I posted this on Poker Fraud Alert and tweeted it out. Seth wrote, there was an issue in single-table satellites with the issue you described. So it's confirming, yes, this happened. The employee involved has been terminated. Very good. This activity is against our rules and protocols for staff, and it was an easy dismissal. It is important to relay to your audience and participants that coming forward is very helpful. So we owe them a big thanks and encourage them to continue to bring the issues to our attention, either discreetly or vocally. So he's basically saying uh, either bring to us privately or, or, yeah, go ahead and shout it on the forums. We don't care which way we find out, but uh, if this happens, make it, make it known. Make it known. Do not let rogue employees get away with uh, squeezing you for tips. Simply jotting down the name of the individual on their name badge, all staff are required to wear name badges, and then bringing it to Jack Effel, Ty Stewart, or myself if they don't feel comfortable doing it directly with a staffer, we will promptly investigate. This is an unfortunate incident. I'm afraid with 2,000 temporary staff, some of this is the law of percentages. So again, if the issue arises again, send an email to jeffel, that's J-E-F-F-E-L, J-E-F-F-E-L, at caesars.com, and he will get it investigated promptly. Sometimes we like to go undercover with employees, or use off-duty staff to pose as customers to verify claims, but we will take allegations like this seriously and investigate and take appropriate action. So, great. I I thought that was a good response. I I thought it was good that they quickly fired this guy, that they didn't give him a second chance, that they didn't say, well, it's one word against another. I don't know if they had proof against him, or I don't know if they got enough complaints to where they were convinced it happened. Uh, Maybe the idiot admitted it when they confronted him, but whatever it was, this was verified. They said, okay, you weren't supposed to take tips. We told you that when you started working here. Uh, that by itself is a fireable offense. You're gone. Get out of here. You're not working here anymore. And so he's not just saying we fired this one guy. He's saying if this ever happens again, tell someone in charge. And you know what? If you get ignored somehow, I'm, t- I'm telling you this now, not Seth. If you get ignored somehow by someone at the World Series staff that you report this to, then report it to me. Report it to Poker Fraud Alert. Come on Poker Fraud Alert and post about this, and I will relay your message, and I will make sure your message is not ignored if it appears to be credible. So it is very important, in my opinion, to get people like Lou out of the industry. This is not 1975 and Jim Rockford's time. Vegas is very different now. 
And one of the benefits of a big corporation running the World Series is that you don't have to deal with crap like this as a player. That when you pay your money to enter an event, whatever it is, single-table satellite, um, multi-table satellite, World Series bracelet event, whatever, cash game, whatever you pay your money to enter, you should not have to give one penny above what the posted rates are. Not one penny above. And if anyone tries to take one penny above that, you should report them because they are stealing from you. Because they are going against what the company that you are patronizing wants them to do. They are rogue employees. They are trying to abuse their positions to steal. Even if it's not stealing in the traditional sense, it's stealing in the uh, extortionary sense. So definitely people like this should be fired. This is not just the way Vegas works. And this is not the same as tipping the bellman for bringing your luggage up to your room or tipping the cabbie or tipping the waitress. This isn't tipping. This is demanding money to do their job. Tipping comes after someone has done a job, and tipping should only be done if they don't ask for a tip. If somebody ever asks you to tip them, you shouldn't tip them in anything. But uh, tipping should only be done when a job has been completed and has been completed well. Uh, never beforehand. So uh, if you ever see anything like this, definitely report it. And as you see, action will be taken. Uh, yeah, it really shows the power of uh, you know the poker community and social media that this thing could get resolved so quickly in a couple of really you know a day and a half, two days, and that Caesars is what shows that they are you know they they are concerned about their image. I've always thought that Caesars looks at the World Series as really a marketing tool for their overall product. And if people have a bad experience, uh, that reflects badly on their name. So, you know, kudos to the people who posted on 2 Plus 2 and uh, Caesars for doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah, they did the right thing here. I don't blame Caesars for having a rogue employee like this. They can't control it if one person decides to act this way after they've told them not to. All they can do when this happens is fire him. Now, I do think if anybody was forced to tip this guy in order to play these satellites, I I would suggest coming forward and and seeing if maybe they can give you the money back that you tipped him. It probably won't be much, but I, I think you deserve that as a player now that they know this happened and you can prove that you played at that time. You know, so definitely don't go up and pretend like you played when you really didn't because they can probably verify that. And besides, that's not the right thing to do. But And they didn't offer to do this. I, I think that would be the right thing to do. But the most important thing is to get this employee out of there, fire him, and make it clear to the rest of the staff that this will not be tolerated. And it's important for the poker community to send the message that this won't be tolerated. And as you said, we now have a voice through social media, through forums, through radio shows like this, because back in the old days when this happened, there was nothing you could do. You could complain to a manager, but if you don't get satisfaction from the manager, what do you do? You can't post about this. You can't really you, – you can't make this known to the general public. There's really no way to do it. Now, but now there is. Ago, probably what would have happened is nothing would have been done, and then they wouldn't have asked that guy back next year to run the satellites. That, But he, he wouldn't have lost his job uh, uh, so quickly because – just the sheer uh, volume and uh, loudness of the message in the community what was enough here. You know, in the in the past, it probably would have been just a quiet whisper. 
Yeah, and and we don't want whispers. Whenever something goes wrong in the poker community, that's what we don't want. We want we want it to be loud. We want it to be something that can't be ignored and forced whoever the powers that be at the company or or the community in general. We want the wrongdoers to have a spotlight on them to where they can't hide from what they're doing and to where what they're doing gets addressed. And that shows the power of forums like this, forums like 2 Plus 2, shows like this, Twitter even. So make sure not to stay quiet when things happen that shouldn't be happening at the World Series. So, uh, you know, I, I criticize Caesars a lot for a lot of things, but this one, I give them the thumbs up with how they handle this one. So going to give a quick update for the bracelet bet. If you want to call in 775-FRAUD-55, 775-372-8355, Make sure to show your caller ID. If you want to text 702-623-1423, 702-623-1423. We just don't get the text we used to since we changed the phone number. When it was the main phone number, everyone was texting. Now nobody texts anymore. It's funny. Anyway. Uh, let me take a look at the chat room. Uh, mob runs the mob runs the strip clubs now. LOL. I don't know if that's true, but maybe it is. Uh, did you use the jump to the head of the line yet, Druff? This person's referring to the fact that as a diamond or seven stars member of Caesars, you actually are allowed to jump to the head of the line without bribing anyone and I think it's unfair even though I could do it with my status I don't want to I just don't think it's fair but nevertheless uh, it's allowed but no I haven't I haven't played any cash at the World Series other than online on WSOP.com and there there are uh, Druff, there's no uh, limit games going on uh, cash limit games uh, as far as limit hold'em at, at the uh... I noticed uh, that. I noticed either. that. I looked for it, and there were no limit hold'em games running. I don't know why. But, but they... the games at at uh, Bellagio have been pretty good. They've had three or four 20, 40, 40, 80s going pretty consistently. I've noticed that too. But as I've said, I didn't check these out, so I can't speak for this year. But in previous years, yes, there were three or four or five games going, but they just weren't good. There were too many good players in town. I, I found the games much better in the off season when there weren't as many running. But, yeah, the games are not uh, full of fish. That's for sure. Yeah, so, so I don't. Uh, that's why I didn't even bother to take a look at those. I, I prefer coming late at night during the off times and playing five or six handed, and all the regulars are either gone or tired, and then I have a lot easier time in those games. And I think yeah, it's... Four, four, forty eighty's been pretty tough. Uh, you can still find a few uh, softer uh, twenty forty, but uh, yeah, it's not it's not easy pickings. Yeah, so. Uh, our bracelet bet with Negranu and Ivy, I have $1,000 myself riding on it. The rest of Poker Fraud Alert has $6,500 combined riding on it for a total of $7,500. We're all betting against Ivy and Negranu winning a bracelet. If either of them wins a bracelet, we lose. If they fail to win a bracelet, then we win. It is not known how much action was taken, but apparently a lot was taken. And 
last week during the show on Thursday, we were following Negreanu, who was running very deep in an event and ultimately finished second during the show. That was a sigh of relief came from me and many others. But apparently, uh, from what I'm hearing, I don't know what the sum of money is, but a large sum of money has been bet. And I guess most of this bet is with Ivy. I don't know what percentage is Negranu, but uh, it was offered that you could bet up to a million dollars. You could actually go to them before the World Series and say, I, I want to bet against you winning a bracelet, and I want to bet... One million dollars. And they would have said yes. So I don't know what people bet, but I know there's a lot of bets. I know that Negranu was finding it very important to win that event, and not just to get his seventh bracelet, but to win a lot of money. He, apparently... Uh, what he was going to get paid for first place was going to be less than what he would win from the bracelet bet, or at least the amount that was wagered there. I know Ivy probably booked most of it, but uh, it was very important to him to win that for that reason, and he did not. He was never in the lead late in the event. My semi-late he was in the lead, but he's never like in the lead really late. And then since then, there was another event where he actually had a pretty good ship lead with about, I don't know, 15 left or something, uh, like 500-something thousand to 300-something thousand in second. But uh, he flamed out pretty quickly and finished 10th. And most recently in the horse event, the 10K horse, he was never doing all that well, but he was always hanging on. And I'll say that for Negranu, he's good at hanging on. Negranu is not one of these guys who just shoots it off when he gets short-stacked. Ivy does that. When Ivy gets short-stacked, he shoots it off. But Negranu does not. Negranu will stretch and stretch and stretch and just, you know, try to squeeze the highest place he can out of uh, whatever tournament he's playing. And he actually stretched a short-stack the whole way to 18th place and cashed, but didn't come anywhere near really contending for the bracelet in that one. Ivy has basically done nothing. Ivy's just been bricking big time, going out of these events early, just really has not been a force in these tournaments. I don't know if he's not playing well. I don't know if he's getting bad cards. I don't know if it's both, but surprisingly, Negranu has been the much bigger threat thus far. Of course, Ivy can... did cash in the uh, pot limit hold'em. He, he, he's about 30th. I, I was at the table with him for a while. He, oh, really? Yeah, he... he he never had a big stack. He kind of had an average stack, and he he finished about eight above me. I think he finished about thirty fifth. I finished forty uh, third, and uh, uh, he wasn't at my table. Went, went you know right on the third day. I played with him for a couple hours for the second, and you know he had kind of a medium stack, but uh, uh, he he just wasn't accumulating any any chips. And he he I I didn't see him just kind of play super aggressive trying to double up or anything. I, I, I saw him kind of trying to grind it out like I was. Huh. So maybe he's just not but running he did well. Cash. Yeah. Maybe he's not running well. But uh, so far it's been all Negranu, but for the purposes of this bet, second does not matter. Second might as well be the first one to bust because you have to win to make us lose this bet. And I, I think there's like 23 events in the books right now that are completed or that they're not in. 65 events total, so we're not even halfway there, but we're getting there. 
And uh, the more important events to watch for are the ones with the small fields, which are the ones with the $10,000 or more buy-in. And I had labeled these events by color of uh, purple being the ones of the smallest expected field and blue being the second smallest, blue being like between 100 and 200. But um, looking at which purple and blue events we have left, we have the Pot Limit Hold'em $10,000 buy-in, which is event number 28. We have the Heads Up No Limit Hold'em event number 40, also 10K. The Poker Players Championship event number 44, which is a 50K buy-in. The Limit Hold'em 10K buy-in event number 52. I'll try to do my part in that one to knock these two out of there. Uh, event number 57, the One Drop, $1 million buy-in, and that's, of course, the one where they have the best chance with only about 40 or so expected players. And event number 61, Seven Card Stud, 10K buy-in. The rest of the events, with the exception of the 10K, 7-card stud, high-low, split 8 or better, which I think is going to get 200 something the rest of the events, other than the ones I've named, are going to be 300 or more. So I think the chances of them winning those is pretty low, just from the number of entrants. Yeah, I would have put, will, been willing to put up a little money with the 2-drop, but uh, the 1-drop the, the was the, the one that I think... Uh, you know, you got 50 players, you got two of them, and uh, I just thought that turned the odds in, in, kind of in, in their favor, although I don't think you're much of a dog there. Yeah, well, it's it's close, and uh, yeah, definitely the one drop is the one to worry about the most, and I said the one we had to worry about second most was the one that Negreanu finished second, the No Limit Deuce to 7 draw lowball 10K, and if you take a look at my color coding, which is on the page 8 of the anti-IVDN pool thread and Flying Stupidity, uh, you'll see that my predictions for the field size has been right on. You're going to see I, I've been really just about exactly there with the color coding I did for the expected people to feed the events. Now, I didn't pull these out of my ass. I, I used previous events to gauge this and, and to kind of figured out the way these games were going, whether they're getting more popular or less popular. And a few of these had never run before, and I had to make more of a guess, but uh, so far I've gotten them right for expected field. It's funny how you can actually do that and be right if you're paying attention. So, uh, so far so good, but there's a long way to go. And, you know, Negranu, he, he must be playing pretty well to have run deep three times like this. So, he is a threat here in these small field 10K plus events. To, must be the choice center. Yeah, must be the choice center. <laughs> I'm sure he'll say that if you ask him. So uh, next on our agenda, you know, this has happened before. I said it during the opening of the show. Last year, two aces of spades in the deck. This year, two aces of spades in the deck. This one, unfortunately, didn't have a very happy ending. What happened was a player uh, was playing uh, PLO and he tried to run a bluff for $150 pretending he had the nuts, which was a flush at the time. So he had the ace of spades. There were three spades out there. There was no board paired. So 
he decided to run the bluff. And in PLO, for those of you that don't play it, uh, having the nuts is a lot more important in PLO than it is in Hold'em. In PLO, if you're if you're playing sub nut hands a lot, you're going to get beat. So uh, he ran a bluff that he had the nuts, knowing he held the ace of spades with three spades out there. So he knew his opponent did not have the ace of spades, and he knew if he raised big, his opponent would fold, thinking, "Okay, well, I'm sure I'm up against the nut flush, and I'm screwed." And it's a lot easier to be up against the nut flush in Omaha than it is in Hold'em because you know, the opponent has four cards instead of two. So he ran this bluff, and surprisingly, the guy came over the top all in on him. And he's like, what the hell? So this guy, this was not a high-limit game. So this guy raised $150 with a semi-bluff. And the opponent went over the top all in. So he's like, wow, this guy has balls. <laughs> this guy, uh, he doesn't have the nuts, but he's willing to commit all his chips. Wow, I wish I really did have the flush. So he folded. He's not going to commit that much as for the, uh, um, yeah, in that situation. Uh, it was, was basically a bluff. So um, what ended up, actually, it was a bluff because you can't yet use both cards. So um, what basically happened here was, um, after about an hour or so, he asked the opponent, hey, by the way, what did you have there? Like, you know, you, I, I'm surprised. I know you didn't have the nuts because I was holding the ace of spades. So, you know, that was pretty good. And the guy's like, wait a minute. I had the nuts. He said, what? No, you didn't. He's like, no, no, no. Yes, I did. I definitely had the nut flusher. He said, you couldn't have had it. I definitely did this to you because I had the ace of spades. And then so they said, let's count the deck out. And they counted the deck out. And sure enough, there were two aces of spades. This wasn't at some crappy home game. This was in the Rio cash section. The same thing just happened last year. Last year or two years ago, I forget. But it happened one of those two. Either 12 or 13 it happened. Here we are again with the Ace of Spades again. Well, believe it or not, this guy didn't get his $150 back. It was verified that there were two Aces of Spades. The opponent remembered going all in after he raised the guy. Now, he can't prove that he had the Ace of Spades when he raised him, but you know, obviously if they figured it out this way, I, I would say that uh, they could take Everyone's word for it pretty strongly, and it's only 150 bucks. But they refused to give the guy his 150 bucks back, which I think is really wrong. It's one thing if you come there the next day and you say, "Hey, this guy tells me he had the nut flush," and then they check, and you know that deck is long gone, and they can't do anything about it. But when they have verified the deck has two aces of spades, and a hand has happened recently, which everyone can describe accurately, and you're only dealing with 150 bucks, definitely you refund it to the customer. Do you agree? Uh, yeah, well, I, normally what, what I, I, in that situation, when I've been in poker rooms and things like that have happened, uh, the, uh, the house has literally given everybody back their, their money. You know what I mean? And refunded it. That, this reminds me of a, of a funny story. I'm playing uh, uh, seven-card stud high-low split, and the dealer's dealing out the cards. This is like 15, 20 years ago. And sure enough, two deuces of clubs come out, and the dealer calls over the floor person and the dealer looks at the floor person and says, which one of them is low? You know, it's like, <laughs> really? 
<laughs> we got two deuces of clubs, and you're worried about who's low? Yeah, well, so, during <laughs> the hand, they would have given it back. In fact, they would have had to right. give it back. But the problem was right. now it had been like an hour later. But the yeah, thing an hour was, later, you know, I, I just – I think that's that's uh, that's uh, uh, too late. You got you got to bring it to their attention earlier than that. Well, but, no, but he uh, didn't know is the problem. He thought he just got yeah. caught in a bluff, and he asked the guy later. He thought that guy just did a soul read on him and knew he didn't really have the nut flush. Yeah, no, I, I, I hear what you're saying. It's got to be uh, that's a real tough call, in my opinion. I I, I, I don't know how I'd rule on the spot in that one. I would have given it back, especially because it was easily verifiable, and because it was like a customer goodwill thing. You didn't have to take thousands of dollars out of uh, out of the Rio to do it. One hundred fifty bucks, you you give that back. Um, a yeah, situation... they're making enough on the side gains to 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 push one hundred and fifty back to the guy. That's for sure. You know, so uh, for as far as the strict going with the rules, well, you know, I don't know. As far as just the goodwill and the publicity, I, I'd probably give him this money back. Yeah. Now. Um... China Maniac asking the chat, should every other hand get refunded too? That's a good question. And uh, JSTAT accurately says he should have called Nevada Gaming Control uh, if no refunds were produced. They are open 24-7. They, they should have. They should have called gaming or threatened to call gaming uh, about that situation because there are laws in place. And I had an interesting situation in commerce, not about cards so much, but to where for a while they were taking – uh, the wrong rake in a game, a dollar too much. And uh, this was going on for about an hour before it was caught. So um, I, I think they were raking too much in the case that there wasn't a flop. So it wasn't every hand, but uh, it was like an hour and a half, actually, not even an hour. And when it was caught... It was actually a hand I was involved with and a hand that I had won, so they gave me back my dollar. And I said, no, 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 no. You guys have been raking for an hour and a half too much. On every hand, there wasn't a flop. So I said, something has to be done about this. So they said, well, how do you know it wasn't just this one dealer who was relatively new? Well, sure enough, it was checked that the dealers had been told something erroneous that day about how to rake the game. And in, indeed, the last few dealers we had, had acknowledged that they were raking too much. So I said, you've got to give more money back. I don't know who you can give it to because we don't know who won those hands. But the, the casino can't just keep the extra rake when they made a mistake. And they didn't see it my way, and I argued with them. They made some kind of weak compromise where, uh, I don't know, they, they did uh, two hands with no rake or some something lame like that. <laughs> But uh, I, I was really – I said you guys should – for all the time you've been doing this, uh, give give a half an hour of no rake here or something. Give 20 minutes no rake. That's don't do two hands. But they, they they didn't see it my way. They just thought, okay, we've, we've figured it out now. We won't make the mistake. We can't figure out who it came from, so now we're going to keep it. I go, you can't keep it. You've got to collect the posted rake. That's the law. You the, can't... the Commerce Club isn't exactly known for their stellar customer service. Yeah, so. yeah, I know. So, and, you know, it was a good game, and I didn't want to hold up the whole thing, so I, I just let it go, but I was pissed. And they, they raked the hell out of that 40 game anyway. The rake is way higher in that 40 game than it is at uh, Bellagio. So, um, someone's saying, I, I, I call bullshit regarding your Commerce story. Uh, those games always see a flop. <laughs> I guess this is a, it wasn't as good of a game as I thought it was. But anyway, 
So uh, I, I don't know what it is with the extra cards there at the World Series. Uh, Matt Glantz, who listened to this show, found that a table had a Joker on it. <laughs> they forgot to remove the Jokers from the deck at <laughs> the uh, table. So when she got dealt a Joker at one of the World Series events early on, uh, at least that one everyone knows is not supposed to be there, and you just kind of laugh. But when it's two of the same card, it can be very bad. And I think that I lost several thousand tournament chips at the 2012 World Series because of a duplicate card. Here's what happened to me. I can't verify it, but I believe this is what happened. I had like eight seven of spades. Not a seven, but eight seven of spades. The flop came all spades. And obviously I was very happy to see that. It was fairly early in the World Series in in the main event and you know, in the in the smaller buy in events, that one you get all the chips in and you just hope someone didn't outflop you with a higher flush. But if if that is if that's the cooler then you're out. But at the main event it's so deep at the beginning, believe it or not, you have to think twice about uh, getting all your chips on the flop uh when you flop a flush, if you don't have the nuts. Because it's that deep. But any, especially with an 8 high, which is one of the lowest flushes you can have. So um, I flopped about as a little bit cautious. Anyway, I'm up against an opponent. Uh, he checks. I bet he calls. I'm thinking, come on, no, no spade on the turn. Well, no spade on the turn. It was like a queen. And the guy had raised pre-flop. So it was a queen. I'm thinking, well, he could have pocket queens, but the board's not paired. You know, As long as he doesn't have a flush, I, I'm still a hit. He checks, I made a bet of like, I don't know, 7,000, he called. The river, the board pairs. And I just didn't have a good feeling about this. Still only three spades, but I just didn't have a good feeling. This guy's calling all this money off. Um, I thought there was some good chance he could have queens. So uh, he checked to me. I considered betting, but I thought, I just don't like this. I have a feeling the guy had a set and, um, you know, was afraid of the flush for whatever reason. He's playing it passively, and now he's going to pop me. So I checked. Well, I was right. He had queens. He, I, I checked. He showed me queens, and I was like, ah, threw away my hand. Happy I didn't bet the river, but um, threw away my hand and thought, that sucks. You know, he had an overpair. Uh, then he made this top set. Still played it passively, and then the board paired, and he, he tried to check-raise me and didn't get away with it. So I said, well, at least I didn't lose that much here. At least I lost, I don't know, less than 10000 out of the whole thing, out of my 30000 stack. So I, I was at least I was frustrated by the circumstance, but at least I was patting myself on the back uh, for not losing more. Still frustrated, though. Well... About an hour later, and they had already changed the deck by this point. I forgot why, maybe just routine, maybe someone asked for it, but they'd already changed the deck. Um, a big hand went down that I wasn't involved with. And when the hand was over, again, a full house won. And the same player I had been up against said... Um, Or sorry, not the same player. A different player at the table 
said, wow, this is the second time this has happened where I folded a seven suited when a full house won. And the guy was patting himself on the back for both times not playing the a seven suited pre-flop. And I said, really, what was the other time? He said, oh, it was the time when that uh, queen hit the turn and the board paired the river. And I said, wait a minute, you, you had a seven? He said, yeah. I said, you're sure? He said, yeah. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I had eight seven of spades. So I'm thinking, well, maybe the guy probably forgot. But he swore up and down that he remembers it very clearly because the whole time when he, that flush was flopped and when I was doing the aggressive betting and all that, like, you know, and then he sees the full house wins, the whole time up until the showdown, he was thinking, oh, man, I could have made so much on this hand and then realized how lucky he got that he wasn't in it. And he said that he remembers that very, very clearly he had a seven of spades. So I asked them to look at the deck, and by that point, you know, but they had changed it. I was reminded they had changed it 15 minutes ago, and it was, that other one was gone. So nothing to do. They, they looked at the current deck just in case, and it was fine. So I'll never know. And I thought, hey, maybe I forgot, or maybe he forgot. Maybe I didn't really have 8-7 of spades. Maybe I had 8-7 of clubs, and like an idiot just kept betting, thinking I had the flush when I had 8 high. Or maybe the other guy had a 6 of spades and forgot. He really didn't have a 7 he had a 6 and to him it's the same thing. But he swore up and down he had the a 7 and I remembered the 8-7 very well. So after these stories came out about the duplicate cards, I thought, crap, I was probably a victim of this too. And believe me, uh, I mean, there's nothing I could do there because I didn't know until the deck had been changed. But uh, don't be shy to speak up about it if... Uh, the same deck's still there, and you see something like this. People misremember their cards all the time, though. It, it's quite actually fairly common that you you get something that you think you had in your mind, and then you 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 reinforce it in your own mind. Uh, so it's probably just as likely that uh, that either you or him uh, misremembered what you had. That's what I uh, thought. Probably I... not you because you went so far into it. Uh, it's probably just as likely that he misremembered versus uh, uh, um, you know, there's some, something funny with the deck. That's what I thought. I, I put it about 50-50 that either this guy remembered it wrong or the small chance I did or that there really were two seven of spades in there. But uh guess of we'll course never know. it makes for a great story that you didn't uh, uh, win the main event that year. Yeah. You know, I I would have actually demanded – those chips back had we caught this later. Like let's, let's say we caught it later, then we would have had a big fight on our hands because I bet they wouldn't have wanted to give me the chips back, but I would have demanded it. It would have been interesting to see how they ruled in that situation. Yeah, because if I caught it at the time, then they would have had to. But if I caught it later and said, hey, I, be- I lost this much on the hand, uh, the, question, the question is, what do they do? I bet they tell me tough luck. But how am I supposed to know? You know, like there's no way unless I can see the other guy's cards. I can't tell there's two sevens in the deck. So anyway, uh, so be careful there, especially it seems like this happens more at the cash section than the tournament section for whatever reason. But maybe that's just the way it's landed. Uh, Ari Engel, also known as Bodog Ari. He is a tournament player. He plays a whole lot of online tournaments. He actually moved out of the country to do it. Uh, he used to be associated with a maven, David Chikotsky, if you remember him. But Ari is a longtime respected tournament player. He's actually an Orthodox Jew. The guy's always wearing a yarmulke everywhere. 
But uh, nice guy. Uh, whenever I see him, he says hello. Whenever I see him, he says hello to me. He used to really enjoy our last show that I did on a different site. And I think he still listens to Poker Fraud Alert. I, I don't know if he does now or not, but I know he did at one point. Uh, Ari, one thing I'll say about him, though, is he's a soft-spoken guy. He's not the type of guy to create confrontations at the table. If you think about a nice, uh, soft-spoken, easygoing guy in poker... Definitely Ari Engel is one who would come to mind. He's just not the type of guy who's going to pick fights at the table. That's why it surprised me, but pleasantly, that he did pick a fight at the table, but for a justified reason. That's because Ari was at the table with Card Player Magazine owner Barry Shulman at the World Series. And rather than stay silent, Ari spoke up about what was on his mind when he saw Barry at the table. He said, Barry, how come you guys at Card Player took ads from Lock Poker for so long, probably about a year, for so long after you were aware that they were cheating people, that they weren't cashing people out, that they were broke, that they were soliciting new deposits under false pretenses? How come you were leading your readers to the slaughter this way. These weren't his words, but he's asking him, why are you running lock ads for your readers when you knew they were a scam? Why, Barry? Why? So what did Barry say back? Did Barry try to logically explain it to him, even though there really isn't a logical explanation? Did he try to make up excuses? Did he try to claim that Locke had fooled him too? No. This is what Barry said. Floor? 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 Oh, uh, this player's harassing me? Floor? Uh, I, I don't want this guy talking to me anymore. I, I don't want him talking to me anymore. Here, he's, he's harassing me at the table. I don't like this guy. I don't want him to talk to me. I want him to leave me alone in this event. So the floor said, hey, look, he doesn't want you to talk to him. You have to leave him alone. So Ari right, left him alone. He didn't want to get disqualified or penalized. So the floor forced Ari to stop hassling Barry about lock poker. And I understand that because you can't have the floor determining what is a good or not good reason to harass another player at the table. It is the World Series of Poker's right to just stop any confrontation there for any reason. How often do they do that with Phil Helmuth? Uh, they did it for Phil Helmuth when I tried to ask him about UB on TV. <laughs> well, I know, but I'm just saying generally when he harasses people. Oh, know, no, no. There's plenty of favoritism there, uh, yeah. for sure. Uh, but uh, I, I, someone should try that. Someone should try next time Phil Helmuth is at their table and rants at them about how bad they are or how lucky they are. Someone should call the floor over and say, I don't want Phil talking to me anymore. I want you to shut Phil up and see what they say. And if they say no, then say, how come every other player is allowed to ask that I can't speak to them if I'm bothering them, but but I can't do it for Phil. Someone should try that, actually. But uh, anyway, Ari had to go silent, but what a cowardly move by Barry Shulman. Here he takes these lock ads for a very long time after he's aware of what they are. And some people, when they heard about this, said, well, wait a minute. Uh, on Ari's Facebook page, there was a debate 
between pretty much everyone on this page versus Chris Tribba, who's actually a bracelet winner. Chris Tribba was actually defending card player in various ways, saying this isn't the right place to bring it up. Um, this isn't card player's fault. It's Locke's fault. Card player doesn't have responsibility for what ads run on there. And then I was on there just destroying him with every argument. And I said, look, in May of 2013, I was at the Bellagio at a 40-80 cash game with Jeff Shulman, who's Barry's son, who is, uh, I believe, the editor-in-chief at Card Player. Whatever his position is there, he's the second-in-command there to Barry, who's his dad. And I said to Jeff, I asked him, do you know about Locke? He says, know what about Locke? So Jeff played dumb like he had no clue what was going on there. So I explained it very carefully to Jeff. And Jeff acknowledged he understood by saying to me, oh, so it sounds like full tilt all over again. I said, exactly, just like full tilt all over again. He says, okay, I'll look into it. Well, the ads didn't come down. The the ads came down somewhat recently, probably after Locke stopped paying him. But it went on many, many months after May 2013 when I told Jeff Shulman everything about what Locke had been doing and told him where he could go to verify it. And he said he'd look into it, and they ran ads for probably eight or nine months or more after that. They were very aware of what Lock Poker was. They were very aware of what Lock Poker was doing, and they did not care. Now, it's one thing if you don't know if an advertiser in your magazine is legit or not. You don't have the time or the resources to investigate every single advertiser. I understand that. But once you have been made aware that the advertiser is stealing from your readers, that is when the ethical person, that is when the ethical businessman takes the ads down even if it costs them money. But I think the way card player sees it is that they are now a shell of their former selves. They don't have any kind of the money coming in like they used to during the poker boom, just like all poker media. So if there's a company like Locke willing to pay for expensive ads... They don't want to turn them away no matter what the reason. So they wash their hands of it. They say, hey, we're just running ads. We're not stealing anyone's money. But yes, you are. You're not stealing it directly, but you're stealing it indirectly. You are leading your readers who trust and like your magazine to sign up for a website that you know is going to steal their money. And that website is paying you to advertise their scam in your magazine. You know it's a scam and you still take their money for their ads anyway. And even if they went to the lock owner, Jennifer Larson, and asked her, and she said, oh, no, 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 don't listen to the internet. They don't know what they're talking about. It is your responsibility at that point to not just take the owner's word, but look into it. As Jeff said, I'll look into it. Well, he didn't. Or if he did, they didn't do anything about it. Card player was responsible, I'm sure, for many of their casual readers who didn't know about lock poker and what they were doing for their money being stolen and lost in that site. And for that reason, card player is very guilty in this situation. Not as guilty as lock themselves, but still pretty guilty, still very unethical, and card player should not be supported for this reason. You shouldn't subscribe to them. You you shouldn't even read it. You should just avoid card player. 
you know, I stopped reading Card Player when they went uh, to basically becoming a, a pimp for all the internet poker and stopped having any kind of serious uh, strategy or, you know, kind of slice of life articles, things like that. And that was probably like 10 years ago. They just, I mean, as soon as the internet boom hit, uh, out the door went all the uh, kind of old, old things that made the magazine great. Yeah, it, it definitely did go downhill. And I used to really admire Card Player. I used to, I remember going to Commerce after work. And I would go to Commerce. I'd sit down in the 36 or 4080 limit holdup game. And I would look in the rack where the card players were, which you could pick up for free over there. And I, I would look forward to picking up a new edition of Card Player. And I liked reading all these different articles, and they had a lot of big names in poker writing for them. They had Helmuth writing and Negranu and, and a lot of other people, and uh, and even ones that weren't as big a names but just kind of reliable, entertaining columns like that old guy Roy West. Like, you would, you'd read it, and uh, I admired the magazine. And, in fact, I used to dream about maybe one day I will be a good enough and well-known enough poker player to write for Card Player myself. And in fact, I actually offered to them after I won my bracelet and got a little bit of notoriety. I, I said, uh, would you like me to write for you? And and actually at one point they were strongly considering it to have me write some sort of uh, uh, internet poker column, but uh, the whole thing fell through. And I'm now, now I'm glad it fell through. Now I'm glad I never wrote for them because uh, not only did the magazine go downhill, but uh, they they took ads from UB until the bitter end, and they took ads from Locke. And they just will take money from anyone, and they don't care if their own readers get cheated. And that's the only way to explain it. They don't care if the readers of their magazine sign up to sites that they know are scams and get cheated. They do not care if their readers get cheated, and that's just a, a really horrible situation, and there's no way they can explain it otherwise. They, they can't even plead ignorance because... So many people tried to make them aware of it, and so many people tried to present the hard evidence to them that Locke was cheating people, and they did not care. It's like buying uh, sea monkeys at the back of the, uh, you know, comic book in, when you were a kid. You know, it's just like buyer beware. You know, we're we're not endorsing this product. We're just putting it out there, and you know, the onus is on you to find out whether it's a scam or not. You but know, they don't they, even say that. This they, car has been around. They in the old days they they added in, in a way a, an air of legitimacy to what was in their magazine and it's just not like that anymore. Well, yeah, and they but they don't even say that they don't even have any warning like uh, these sites are illegal these are operating uh, you know outside of U.S. law buyer beware nothing it's just a, a big glossy ad of lock poker you know join and get the two thousand dollar deposit bonus and play these great you know. $50,000 guaranteed tournaments, blah, 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 blah. You just see that. It just hits you in the face when you open the magazine. Not anymore, but when they were advertising them. In fact, on their website, cardplayer.com, the player of the year race on Card Player was called the Lock Poker Player of the Year race. It was sponsored by Lock Poker. It wasn't a player of the year race for people on Lock Poker. It was the player of the year race sponsored by Lock Poker. So... Just disgusting to see that as everyone's getting their money stolen by that site. So, and as someone brought up, Chris Trebo brought up in Facebook, you know, this is not the right venue to bring it up. You know, bring it up elsewhere, but don't harass Barry at the table. It's not right. Well, of course it's right. If Barry or any other 
person who steals from poker the poker community or is an accomplice to those stealing from the poker community shows up among us and sits at a table with us, they deserve the harassment. They deserve the ridicule. Maybe we have to stop at some point if uh, the floor tells us we have to stop. But until then, they deserve it. They deserve it because they knowingly took or helped others take unethically and illegally from the community. And they deserve to be ostracized. They deserve to be humiliated. They deserve to be harassed for doing that. Evidently, only poker or or card players entitled to First Amendment protection in their mind. (laughs) So uh, good for Ari for bringing that up. And you know what? If I see Barry or if I see Jeff, I will bring it up. If I see them, what the hell? I'll tell them what I said in May of 2013. I'll tell them how I saw they were bombarded with messages from people asking about lock poker all this time, why they took so long to get rid of them. Why, why did you not care about your readers? I, I'll, I'll put it all out there. And I've always had a cordial relationship with Jeff Shulman. He, he would say hi to me when he saw me around. Uh, you know, he, I remember he even tweeted something nice about me. We were at a Limit, Hold, a Limit Hold'em table together, and he said that uh, um, you know, Todd would tell us is here and he's playing very well, wish he wasn't at my table, th- things like that. Like, uh, um, he even used to listen sometimes to the last radio show I was part of. But that doesn't matter. What matters is in May, I told him what Locke was doing. I'm sure he already knew, but I told him just in case he didn't. And nothing happened for quite some time, for a very long time. So final World Series topic, and then we'll move on to something else. Uh, I know we had a little bit of a disagreement on this on the forum. Uh, a member of our forum posted out, uh, pointed out that in the Amazon room, which is one of the rooms where the World Series of Poker takes place, where they have banners of the main event champions from 1971 on. Uh, in the past, from what I had seen, they tarped Russ Hamilton. What I mean, what I mean by tarping him was that they actually had a black tarp they hung over Russ's picture to where you can still see it says 1994 Russ Hamilton, but you don't see his picture anymore. I was the one that started actually that, that thread. And his, 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 uh, his banner and um, Chris's banner are completely gone. Yeah. Now. Okay. I didn't know it was you starting it, but yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. So, so apparently you noticed, and I haven't been in that room yet, so I didn't see this, but uh, you noticed that they just took away Russ's banner who won the 1994 world series of poker main event. And they took away Chris Ferguson's banner who won the 2000 World Series of Poker, and of course these two individuals are now reviled in the poker community Russ for his UB cheating, and Chris Ferguson for his theft of the full tilt funds so my opinion on this was good I don't think they should remove every single banner for anyone in poker who's ever done anything unethical, or honestly, the wall will probably be bare. But, yeah. All right. but, but uh, I think in the really egregious cases, like Russ Hamilton and Chris Ferguson, with the mass amount of money that was stolen in both cases, that, yes, it's unfair that they won the main event fair and square, as far as we know, and that this has nothing to do with their main event triumphs in the past and that it's actually kind of almost like removing history. But 
at the same time, I think they've done something serious enough to the poker community, each of them, to where I don't think they deserve to be honored. I don't. I think the honoring of them there, which is what these banners are doing, they're honoring the winners. It's not just a list of winners. I'm not saying they should go and scrub Russ's name and Chris's name from the list of World Series winners in documentation of the World Series. I'm saying that there shouldn't be big banners with their pictures honoring them for being winners of the main event because of what they've done to poker. They don't deserve any honor in the poker community for anything, even if it has nothing to do with this before. That's my opinion. Uh, you said you felt differently when we were discussing it on the forum. Well, I, I don't completely disagree with you. Uh, uh, you know, I, I totally understand your point, and it's a close call. But uh, my, my thinking is, is you know, uh, one is, is, I mean, slim, con people his whole life. Uh, Johnny Moss, when he ran the uh, poker room at the Stardust, there was a, there was the famous uh, net under under the table with a, a towel in it, and the dealers were instructed to uh, uh, rake a couple of chips, uh, you know, kind of kind of uh, into that uh, little net under under the table. And so they're, they're not necessarily the now they're they're probably the people who screw people the most in terms of uh, outright number of people and money. Uh, but you know, poker's been full of nefarious characters in its history. And the other point I was saying is, is maybe they should be up there as a reminder to people that, you know, not everybody in the poker world is, you know, all they pretend to be. Yeah. And I, I understand that you're saying about the reminder, but the problem I think there is that a lot of people, a lot of casual players still are not aware of the bad guys in these stories or don't even aware. They're not even aware that these stories happened. But even the ones that know there was some scandal with UB, some scandal with full tilt with stolen money or people looking at whole cards, they don't know that Russ Hamilton was the main perpetrator in the UB scandal. They don't know that Chris Ferguson was one of the main perpetrators in the full tilt scandal. And I'm afraid by having that up there, it is honoring them to the casual players, and the casual players don't understand why they shouldn't be honored. And I think by at least removing the banner that while it does not draw attention to the bad things they did, at least it is not honoring them for anything they did in poker. It's, it's just kind of making them persona non grata at the World Series of Poker. True, but, you know, it's also like, uh, you know, Pete Rose in the Hall of Fame of Baseball, you know, I think he should be in, so. Okay, well, yeah, we, we, I, we can disagree on this one, but that's, that's how I feel. And, in fact, I was one of the people who applauded the harping of Russ, and, and I'm happy those two are gone from there. And we'll I'm see, not going to lose any sleep over it, that's for sure. Yeah, and we'll, we'll see if uh, either of them, especially Howard, I know Russ won't show up, but if uh, Howard will show up at the World Series of Poker. Howard seems to be the one most bothered by his loss of reputation. Uh, Russ Hamilton has always been known to be really shady. Russ Hamilton, way before this happened, was known as a really sleazy and shady individual. He was a golf hustler. Yeah, he he was a big-time hustler in all ways. So Russ Hamilton, I mean, obviously he was very unhappy when this all went down and uh, he became the face of this scandal. Uh, But at the same time, uh, Russ Hamilton didn't say, oh, damn, everyone thought I was such a great guy before this, and now they think I'm a piece of shit. Like, he didn't say that. He knew that his reputation in poker was not that of a nice guy or an honest guy. Whereas Chris Ferguson, he was well-liked, 
and Chris Ferguson and, and Howard Lederer, too, both don't really believe that they're thieves. They Both of them believe that they were trying to do the right thing, and just Black Friday kind of came along at the wrong time and, and wrecked their plans in making the money back for the company before anyone knew it was gone. That's what they think they were doing. That's what they believe they were doing. They They thought they were trying to save a sinking ship and get everyone's money back and that they temporarily had to rob Peter to pay Paul to do it, but eventually they'll pay Peter back too. It was their plan. Um, But it was still stealing. Whatever way they try to justify it, it was still stealing, but they don't want to accept it. But at least Chris Ferguson kind of seems to accept his fate and isn't desperately trying to get his reputation back. He's just kind of not talking about it. Howard Lederer did those stupid interviews on Poker News, trying to get his rep back. Uh, he threw out the trial balloon of uh, coming to the World Series this year. We'll see if he actually does that. Howard Lederer has just tried and tried. In fact, he even put together a group of his friends to try to come up with plans and ways that Howard could be eased back into the poker community and get his reputation back because Howard, it was very important to him to be respected as the professor of poker, as someone you look up to, as as a pillar of the game and not as a thief. So uh, it really bothers him that that's now his legacy and he has a fantasy that he'll come back and be forgiven. But then whenever he announces these plans to return or he does these dumb interviews and and everyone gets mad, he realizes that it's just not working. And so, you know, when when he comes out and and says things like... um, I just don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I have no recollection. I'm just speculating now, so I just don't, you know. So I don't know. I remember sometime in the afternoon. I don't even know when. I don't know. I don't know. But I don't know. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I don't know. I don't know. I have no recollection. I remember one time at a party. <laughs> That's my favorite part. I remember one time at a party. That was referring to uh, whether he met uh, Daniel Svetkov. <laughs> The disgraced payment processor. And he was like, well, I remember one time at a party he was there. And it turned out that was a big lie. Uh, Flipper Fair saying he's going to be in the one drop. Has he actually verified for one drop? Because last I checked, he wasn't. Maybe there's... He has the money for it. What was that? I'm sure he has the money for it. Yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the outrageous thing is that the federal government did not require Howard and Chris and Ray Bittar and uh, and Ray First to give up their ill-gotten gains here. They they did not pay anywhere the fines that they should have. Not only should... about the other full bill trusts, they haven't had to give anything back either. Yeah, I, not not they should have pretty much had to give up everything. There should have been a major civil action against them at the very least if they're not going to put them in prison. Um, basically forced them to give up their net worth to pay players back in lieu of going to prison. Or both. Both would be best. You know, Take all their money and send them to prison. That's what should have been done because that's that's what they did. They, they stole from players. Whatever way you look at it, they stole from the players. If the money you have on deposit 
is ever touched by them for any reason other than to withdraw funds to players, they have stolen it. There's no way around that. So yeah, some restitution to the victims here. And that's, that was my point too, is, is they seem to be bearing the brunt of this when all the pros over there full tilt were, were taking, taking money out. And, and as far as I know, uh, you know, other than the loans that they got as opposed to compensation, none of them have really offered to give anything back. Yeah. And that's, I, I've had a problem with that too, that the pros didn't offer to give anything back. I can understand why they're not, um, you know, why it's been hard to take the money back from them because other than the people on the board of full tilt, the four I mentioned, uh, letterer Ferguson, uh, Bitar and first other than these four, uh, I, I believe the rest of them didn't know what was going on. They were getting their payouts and they thought it's because the company was profitable. So how can you blame them? But now that they know they had stolen money, like why weren't they saying, okay, sorry about that. This money should have gone to the players instead of to me. I still have it. So here it is back or here's at least some of it back. Like, like none of them offered to do that. And I, I agree that was wrong. So well, the simple answer to that is, is that, most of them are pretty uh, poor money managers and degenerates, so uh, they probably don't have the money to give back, even if they wanted to. Yeah, probably most of them have shot it, shot it off. I agree, and uh, but I, I wondered why the government tried to go, didn't try to go after them for that too. Uh, for example, if I buy a car that's stolen, let's say I see an ad in Craigslist, uh, uh, buy the a new five series BMW. Uh, I, I just bought it last week. I got to sell it. Uh, selling it for $20,000. I go, wow, what a deal. So I, I go over, I give the guy 20000 cash, he gives me the BMW. The police come and visit me and say, guess what, it's a stolen car. Do I get to keep the car? And say, well, but someone sold it to me. I didn't know it was stolen. Now, I shouldn't go to jail for that because I didn't know. But I don't get to keep the car. They would take the car away. It'd be tough luck on me for buying a stolen car. But somehow, with the full tilt money, it's not the same way. So pretty bad. Pretty bad. It would, it would, it, it, a lot of it might depend on, for example, if they were, if the full tilt pros were just employees versus stakeholders or owners, because if they if they had some interest, whether it's uh, corporate shares or percentage of profits or something like that, uh, a much stronger case could be made that they would have to disgorge those distributions to them versus if they were just collecting uh, a straight paycheck as an employee uh, for endorsing the, the product. Yeah, that's a good point, and uh, I think a lot of them were owners, though. A lot of the major pros there were owners, like Phil Ivey is a good example. And uh, maybe some of them receiving distributions technically didn't own anything, but most of them did, even if it was a very small percentage. Anyway, uh, getting away from the World Series of Poker discussion, talk about David Williams for a second. David Williams is one of many poker players who has drank the Choice Center Kool-Aid and now is drunk on it. Choice Center, again, is a self-help organization in Las Vegas and other places too, but Las Vegas seems to be a big chapter of theirs. And uh, very much supported by Daniel Negrani. This is not his organization. He just joined it, and he's a big supporter of theirs. Uh, Negranu to a lesser degree, Antonio Esfandiari. And the two of them recruited so many poker players into this organization. And at first it sounds innocent on the surface. Self-help, great. 
uh, you know, become a better person, great. Achieve your goals, great. Uh, but they charge a lot of money, $2,700 per session. And it has a lot of cult-like elements to it. It's an LGAT, which is a large group uh, alternative therapy, is what that stands for. And basically you get with a big group of people there and you bear your souls to one another. And then uh, the counselors there and, and the other members to you know, try to tell you how you need to improve your life. And a lot of times it's really obvious stuff. Stop drinking as much. Stop doing drugs. Uh, stop gambling all night and uh, drinking all night before a tournament. Uh, stop wasting all your money on stupid shit. You know, save money. Like, like really obvious things that uh, it shouldn't take $2,700 per session to do. Uh, but the worst part of Choice Center is that uh, the people who graduate the first two parts and want to continue it go on to a part called Leadership Legacy where basically you are told that you need to strongly recruit your friends and family and peers to Choice Center. So it's not just like a word-of-mouth thing. It's not just a, a thing where you go through a program, and if you think it's great, you tell your friends, and they come in. You are told by Choice Center, who now really has their hooks in you, to recruit other people, how important it is to recruit other people, how you are judged on how many people you recruit. So... Uh, that's where it has the cult-like aspect. Now, there are poker players who have gotten involved with it, a lot of them, you know, starting from Negranu on down, who swear by it, who say what a wonderful thing it is, and ignore all the evidence that Choice Center is not the wonderful thing that it is, and that really it's just a business that's taking advantage of people. By, by, and, and also the people, the counselors there, are not qualified. They don't have the proper degrees or training to be giving the life advice that they are. So people are really putting their whole lives in Choice Center's hands, and, and the people whose hands you're putting your life in are really not qualified to be doing this. They don't have the proper training. It's, it's really just a, a big money-making operation. I, I think it's more about money than it is about uh, controlling people in a traditional cult fashion, but it's probably about that too. There's a certain satisfaction you get from right. being able to completely control another human being, especially influential and famous people like Daniel Negreanu. So some interesting news about Choice Center has come out, and this has been in the spotlight a lot because of the World Series. And Negrano gets really angry when anyone criticizes Choice Center. Brian Rast did an interview with Seriously Serious about how he attended one weekend at Choice Center and didn't go back, and he gave a pretty fair assessment of it, saying basically, yes, it can help people, but I, I think it comes with too high of a price, both monetarily and, and also, you know, they're basically getting their emotional hooks into you, and it can be dangerous to some people. Uh, D Daniel got really angry and, and spouted off about that. And they people just get really angry if they're into Choice Center and you criticize it. Hopefully, they won't come after you like uh, you know the Scientologists do. <laughs> yeah. So, so uh, this. Uh, so first of all, I want to go back to April before we get to David Williams. Back in April, a funny thing happened that we didn't talk about on the show, but I probably should have if I, had I known about it. David Chino Reem who is known throughout poker to basically be a scumbag who borrows money from people and then never pays back. Just 
makes up stories how he's good for the money, usually after he wins a big tournament and the people are, you know, misled into believing if he just cashed a million dollars in a tournament, he's got to be able to pay you back tomorrow if he's borrowing five for 10K from you. But in reality, he's in debt to so many people that he has nothing, even after he cashes big. So I cashed second that year a few years ago. Uh, Chino Reen and Dutch Boyd were both at my table. Oh, wow. For the entire day and Liz Liu. You know, so I, when, I, when you always bring them up, I think, yeah, you know, <laughs> I played with two of the two of, uh, <laughs> notorious uh, guys around. So, uh, yeah, so so then, uh, anyway, Chino won the this Borgata Championship uh, event in uh, the spring of last year. I forgot what it's called, but it's a, it's a 15K buy-in event. It's a big guarantee tournament at the Borgata. He won it last year. So this year on April 22nd, they were having this tournament again, 15K buy-in, 5 million guaranteed, and Chino had a free entry to the tournament. It was one of the few tournaments out there where if you win, you get to come back the next year to that one tournament for free. You get bought in for free. So Chino, all he had to do was go to New Jersey, to the Borgata, and he would get the 15K buy-in completely covered by the Borgata. And obviously that would be a very good deal for him. For once, he'd be playing for 100% of himself. Now, maybe he would be expected to give his winnings back to all the people he owes, but at least he's playing for himself there. Except Chino Reem, with a 15K free buy-in, did not show up. Chino tweeted the day before the tournament that he he's not going to make it out there this year. Didn't mention anything about a free roll, but just that he's not going to be able to make it out there this year, but good luck to all his friends. Uh, people thought this was very odd. Like, of all years not to make it out there, why not make it out there when you're playing for free? So, Robert Mizraki, who's been a longtime friend of Chino's, tweeted to him, I think you have a free roll since you won last year. I would find out. So then Chino tweeted back to him, what free roll? (laughs) So Chino apparently didn't know he had a free roll. Chino knew the tournament existed, but somehow uh, it slipped his mind that he gets a free roll into the tournament. So he probably wasn't going because he couldn't afford the buy-in of 15K and nobody would back him for it. So he's like, yeah, I'm sitting this one out. Good luck, guys. And it's like, oh, crap. Well, it was explained to him again that he had a free roll. And this is the day before. He could have hightailed it down there. But uh, he replied the same day that he's doing Choice Center instead. He said... I'm doing choice instead. It is what it is. So I think he probably was in choice center. I don't think that was a joke, but I don't think he did that in lieu of playing a free tournament. I think that uh, he was doing choice center and then found out about this too late and couldn't get down there. Uh, When card player asked him about this, I hate to quote card player, but uh, this is what he said. I certainly didn't forget about it. I had my own things going on in my life that I decided to skip that tournament for. That's basically it. Obviously, if I'm going to skip a free roll in the WBT Championship, people need to know that I'm working on myself and trying to make my life better. If anyone can't understand it, they can go fuck themselves. 
if people must know, I skipped it to do the Choice Center. Now, what I think really happened was that he didn't realize it until it was too late, but he may have even told them at Choice Center, I'm here, I'm so serious about improving myself. I, Chino Reem, don't want to be a scumbag anymore. I'm so serious about improving myself. I have chosen to come here to improve myself immediately rather than play a 15K free roll. <laughs> I'm sorry. Chino Reem absolutely, absolutely would never miss a 15K free roll for anything. Even if his house was on fire, he would fly off to the free roll. So uh, I don't believe that for a second. But I do believe he got involved in the Choice Center, which is funny. I, I don't know. I don't know why he's doing it. I don't know if he's doing this to give the appearance that he's turning his life around so now he can get more stakes again. Or if Chino is really that confused of a soul where he rockets between feeling guilty about what he's done but then still doing it. And I think that's possible. This isn't like on TV where everyone's either good or evil. It is possible that Chino is a mixed bag who feels bad when he does bad things, but not bad enough not to do them. So what do you think about this? Uh, you know, I, I don't like to necessarily criticize uh, things that I don't know anything about. Just from my own personal uh, point of view is, is I don't need to pay a lot of uh, people a lot of money to tell me I'm screwed up. We've all got our problems and, uh, you know, I, I, I've been in therapy and stuff and, hey, we all got our problems and we're all all right. So I, I just don't see if it helps people and it gives them, gives them something uh, good in their life and that they think they're getting value for their money, go for it. It's just not something I'm particularly interested in. And I find it kind of funny that, that Chino would be, I mean, I don't know personally, obviously, I just know him by reputation, that he would gravitate towards uh, something like this, given his personality as well. Yeah, I think, though, I like I said, I have a feeling that Chino, I don't think he skipped the free roll for it, but I, I think that Chino, part of him probably does feel bad about what he's been doing, but, but also he is enough of a scumbag still to where, while feeling bad, he'll still screw people, screw people over if it means keeping in action. Like, uh, there is such a thing as doing something shitty, feeling shitty as you're doing it, but still doing it. I mean, like, this happens all the time when people cheat on their spouses. Uh, a lot of times when people cheat on their spouses, they feel guilty as they are doing it, but not guilty enough to say, you know what, I don't want to do this. I'm going home. I- I'm not going to sleep with this woman. I'm going to go back to my wife. And, and uh, like, people do it anyway and feel bad. So... I, yeah, I think surprise me if he his check uh, for the seminar bounces. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I bet I bet Daniel told him to get the money up front. Yeah, who knows? He may have been bought in. Brian Rast was bought in to Choice Center, and this is definitely a guy who can afford it. Brian Rast, but he didn't want to go on his own. He didn't want to fork over the twenty seven hundred. So Antonio Esfandiari said to Brian, "Okay, how about if I put up the twenty seven hundred? How about you go and you see how wonderful it is if I put up the money? And Brian's like, oh, okay, I'll go. So maybe someone like Daniel or I don't know who talked to Chino. Chino expressed you know, a willingness to go. And they said, all right, Chino, if you're willing to get involved in this, if I can recruit you into this, uh, I'll pay for you. And maybe Choice Center really wants someone like Chino because you can you imagine if Chino goes to Choice Center – and turns it around and becomes a, a wonderful human being and, and never steals from anyone again and, and really his life does a 180, this would be a huge testimonial for Choice Center 
and the great things they can do. Uh, so this is why he could be a high value, high value person to have there, and and maybe someone like Negreanu realized that, and and paid his way in. So who knows? But uh, uh, he he is kind of a funny person to go there because you wouldn't expect a hustler type to go there. You would expect the types to go to Choice Center would be ones who uh, are generally decent people but have no direction in life or don't feel enough people love them or care about them or, or, or that they're, you know, they're not achieving the goals they're trying to achieve. Those are the people who are vulnerable to something like Choice Center. Someone who's a hustler would be suspicious that Choice Center is hustling them. So you would think that a person like that would be least vulnerable to it, would be most skeptical. If uh, they are used to hustling people for money, they would suspect the same thing is being done to them and not want to go. So who knows? Maybe it's part of Chino's long game thing. Hey, I found this. I've turned it around. And he can, you know, he he can gain a little bit of his cred back. And uh, it'll allow him to, to, you know, uh, continue his ways a little bit longer. Yeah. I thought that too, with all the big poker players that are going there. If he becomes part of the Choice Center group and they think he's reformed, now he has all these potential backers there that before would not have backed him. So I, I definitely thought of that too, that uh, Chino knew exactly what he was doing when going there. So who knows? Uh, in fact, maybe it was positive EV to skip that uh, free roll, but I don't think so because there was nothing special about that weekend. He could have gone the next Choice Center seminar and, and you know it would have been the same effect. So, it's basically it. He miscalendered it or whatever. Yeah. So another person you mentioned was at your table, Dutch Boyd. There has been a lot of back and forth recently involving the lawsuit of Mason Malmuth against Dutch Boyd. It was very simple. Dutch Boyd, around 2006, registered about 500 domains that... uh, he thought he would be able to make money from related to poker. One of them was 2plus2poker.com, which, of course, is very similar to 2plus2.com, which is about poker. Mason Malmuth is the owner of 2plus2. He sued Dutch and won. And he won a 60K judgment, including attorney's fees. Dutch has been complaining about that ever since. Dutch tried to appeal it. The appeal was denied. And Dutch owes $60,000 to Mason. He can't pay it right now, but uh, Dutch is very frustrated about it. Now, Dutch's side of the story is that he set up an automated program to register a bunch of poker names. And 2 plus 2 poker happened to be one of them because 2 plus 2 is associated with poker. The program grabbed the, program grabbed the names 2 plus 2 and poker, put them together, registered it, and then he was he had them parked on a domain service called fabulous.com that put up their own parking page. So he wasn't even making money. He just was using fabulous.com to park it and that um, he was not trying to take advantage of the 2 plus 2 brand. It was just one of 500 domains that got auto-registered and that he gave the domain back when he was asked to give it back, that he let it expire intentionally so they could go register it themselves at 2 plus 2, and that despite doing that, uh, they sued him anyway, 
which on the surface sounds kind of shitty. Like, uh, you know, Dutch was contacted, said, hey, uh, here's your domain back. Mason got it back and then said, F you, I'm suing you anyway. But it's more complicated than that. Uh, First of all, Mason claims that they had to do some kind of investigation to find out whether two plus two, you know, who owned two plus two poker.com to be able to contact the right party and sue the right party. Uh, second, he claims it's obvious that two plus two poker.com was registered to infringe on their trademark. Uh, furthermore, he claims that he wanted to settle with Dutch for a much lower figure, but Dutch literally told him fuck off in an email. Uh, he said that Dutch refused to pr- provide him with any evidence as to how much money 2plus2poker.com did or didn't make during the time he had it, because Mason wanted that money back too. And that when Dutch refused to cooperate, only then they sued him, and Dutch was overconfident about how he would prevail in court, and when he didn't, well, now it's too late. Now, you know, he dared challenge him, and now he's uh, he lost, and now he owes the money that, uh, you know, for, for re- refusing to settle in the first place. Well... This has been debated and analyzed by a lot of people on 2 Plus 2. Some are pro-Mason. Some are just anti-Dutch because they hate him because of the whole poker spot site fiasco that happened many years ago where people lost their money on a site Dutch was running. And others were defending Mason probably because they have an affiliation with him. We have a a guy who posts on our site called Pro Poker who posts on uh, 2 Plus 2 as Professional Poker. And I like this guy. Except, obviously, he's biased toward Mason in everything because uh, Mason is his good friend and and he's one of the major mods on 2 Plus 2. So the question is, who's really in the right here? Who is really in the right? Well, a lot of it comes down to figuring out what really happened because we have two very different stories. So what really happened? And some of this has come out this past week as to what really was going on with 2plus2poker.com. First of all, was the page registered by an automated system? Did Dutch just write a program? He is a programmer. I'll give him that. Dutch does have programming skill. So did Dutch just write a program to make 500 automated registrations and and grab random poker terms and put them together? And was 2plus2poker one of them? I can't say for sure, but I say probably not. Why? Because a computer would be very poor at figuring out how to put domains together to confuse a human being. Computers can't think like that. Computers can think mathematically and logically, but it can't think in abstract terms. It can't think in human nature. Computers are really good at some things, and really bad at other things. Um, in fact, when playing bots in Limit Hold'em, I noticed that one characterization a bot has is that a bot sometimes doesn't know what to do when holding a very strong but non-nut hand. A bot sometimes has trouble analyzing a situation where it has a very, very good hand but not quite the nuts. How far it goes with the raising. Uh a bot also likes to call down with ace and king high a lot more than a human would because it has a hard time figuring out when it should fold ace high and when it shouldn't, so it does it through a mathematical formula. It can't uh, 
do the same determinations as whether to call that ace high as you and I do. Uh, to give a simpler example, uh, computers are very good at analyzing large amounts of data quickly and then drawing lo- logical conclusions from that data. For example, if I ask a computer that has access to the internet, what color is the sky? The computer program could analyze every web page related to the word sky and and a color associated with the word sky on the same page and come out that overwhelmingly the web pages that have the word sky in them also have the color blue mentioned. So from that and from the vast number of web pages that associate the color blue with a sky would determine the sky must be blue. And the computer would come back with the correct answer, blue. Without really understanding why the sky is blue, just that it determined it by analyzing a whole lot of data. Uh, at the same time, computers are really bad at at uh, analyzing uh, abstract, fuzzy, or emotional sort of thinking. Uh, for example, if I went to a computer and said, you know, there's a girl living next door to me. I want to ask her out on a date, but I don't want it to be awkward if she rejects me. So, so how do I get this girl to kind of know I'm asking her on the date, but but also to where I can deny that's what I really meant if she says no. Like, to where I can explain, oh, no, 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 that's not what I meant. Like, like what's the best way to ask her? Well, the computer couldn't answer that because the computer doesn't understand human nature. The computer could never figure this out other than maybe looking up articles with a similar question and just parroting back what those articles say. But the computer could not give real advice in that situation. The computer would be horrible in that type of situation, no matter how good of a computer. Maybe maybe one day computers can be developed uh, with good enough artificial intelligence to answer a question like that, uh, and not just by parroting articles about this, but uh, that type of question would be very tough for a computer. Uh, The reason I'm mentioning this is that a computer would not be good at thinking up clever ways of registering URLs to where human beings will get confused and accidentally go there instead of where they were trying to go. Now, yes, computers can figure out that you, you might type off one digit. So instead of 2plus2.com, uh, 2plus2.com. I, I could see a computer coming up with that. But by combining terms and figuring out to where something would be uh, likely for a human being to make the mistake but otherwise wouldn't really have a logical basis in it, a computer would not be good at that. So let me give you some examples of Dutch Boyd registered domains at the same time. So we know about 2plus2.com, he registered 2plus2poker.com. Now notice it wasn't 2plus2flush.com, 2plus2royal.com, 2plus2fold.com, 2plus2raise.com. No, it was 2plus2poker.com. But you say, okay, well, poker is the most general term possible. So maybe that's just um, the most obvious thing the computer came up with. What about, what about this one? PokerSourceOnline.com, which was a big website at the time. PokerSourceOnline.com. Dutch registered PokerSiteOnline.com. <laughs> now, do you think the computer came up with that? Do you think the computer figured out that PokerSource kind of sounds like poker site and they both begin with s and people refer to poker sites a lot so instead of typing poker source they might accidentally type poker site and and get confused like computers would never figure that out how about this one fulltiltpoker.com dutch registered www-fulltilt-poker.com 
again, something a human being wouldn't necessarily type, but could see and think they're going to the right place. So they type in Full Tilt Poker on Google. It comes up www-fulltilt-poker.com. They're like, oh yeah, that's what I'm looking to go to. Not realizing that it should be www.fulltiltpoker without a dash.com. These are things a human being is definitely sitting there and thinking about and going, ha ha ha, this is so clever. Ha ha ha, I bet I'll get them on this one. Especially the poker source online, poker site online thing. So I don't believe Dutch just let a computer do its thing. I believe he may have had an automated registration tool to where he feeds in a domain name and it quickly registers it. It enters his name, his address, and all his contact info, his credit card, blah, blah, blah. So he doesn't have to type that 500 times in a row. But I don't think these domain names were invented by an automated system. I think Dutch invented all of them and did so in a very deliberate fashion to try to steal the traffic from these sites from people who think they're going to these sites but end up going to Dutch's sites. Now, if you concede that is what Dutch did, already he is infringing upon Mason's trademark. But what about the page parking thing? Was Dutch really making money from it? Was he attempting to make money, or did he just park them and never really use them, and Mason misunderstood what a parked page is? Well, professional poker, that is the guy professional poker, the one who posts on Poker Fraudler is pro poker, he looked at these old parked pages through an archive utility and found specific affiliate codes to sites like UB, to PokerStars, to where if you clicked on the links on these parked pages, you were very likely getting Dutch's affiliate code, and Dutch would get the credit for your sign-up, not this generic uh, web uh, registrar he was using that he claimed was putting up a parked page. It just didn't look like a parked page. It looked like affiliate codes that Dutch had himself that he put up on all these sites. I think Dutch pseudo-parked the page in that he wasn't trying to imitate 2 plus 2. He wasn't saying, hey, this is 2plus2.com, run by Mason Malmuth, come buy our books, uh, click on these ads. Like It wasn't like that. He probably had the same generic page he made for all 500 of his websites. I believe that, and I believe he didn't make that much money from it. He may not even know how much money he made from it if he used the same affiliate code for all of them, which he probably did. So that's probably part of the reason Dutch could not and would not provide Mason with that information. Mason, Dutch is probably afraid if he says, I made this much from these affiliate codes, that Mason and his lawyer would believe they were entitled to all that money rather than just one five hundredth of it. So I don't believe Dutch made very much money. And I also believe that Mason spent too much money already to before he started to negotiate with Dutch. Basically, I think Mason jumped the gun with getting an attorney for this. Now, if Mason just wanted to sue him to punish him for doing this, fine. I I can kind of understand that. But if Mason really wanted to settle, if all Mason really wanted to do was get the domain back and get back a token sum of money of whatever Dutch likely made from having the domain, then he went about it the wrong way. Uh, It doesn't appear that Dutch was really hiding his identity, and if he was, uh, I have not heard that Mason attempted to contact him, you know, the owner of 2plus2poker.com, and ask, hey, who are you? I'm the owner of 2plus2.com, who are you, and why do you have my domain? 
Like, why did Mason never do that? There was a contact us link on 2plus2poker.com from the start. So the owner of it, even if you didn't know who it was, was always reachable. So why did he not attempt to reach Dutch at that point before getting attorneys involved? Why was an attorney ever involved before contacting Dutch first and trying to negotiate with him first? I believe what happened was he immediately handed this to his attorneys, who then put in some billable hours to figure out who was behind the site. And by the time they contacted Dutch, Mason probably wanted those attorney's fees paid as well, on top of getting the domain back and on top of getting a report on how much money Dutch had made and having that money too. So Dutch was probably looking at thousands of dollars there and said, forget it. I'll give you the domain back. I'm not giving you thousands of dollars for attorney's fees that were needless here. And I kind of see his point. Now, at the same time, I can't feel bad for Dutch because he was looking to infringe upon 2 plus 2 in the first place. In fact, had Mason just sued him from the start, I can't even blame him too much because Dutch was definitely infringing upon Mason's copyright and trying to make money off of Mason's brand. So I don't feel that bad for him for being sued. But if Mason is being honest that he wanted to settle from the start, he should not have spent all this money on attorneys before he needed to. I have a feeling if Mason had approached Dutch and said, hey, I'm Mason, identify yourself or I'm going to sue you. But if you identify yourself first, give me the domain back, show me how much you made from this and and give me back that money too and we'll drop the whole thing, I think it's possible Dutch might have said okay. It's possible Dutch may have said F you, sue me. But it's also possible he may have done it. I think Dutch was already in a position where he felt like he was already out a lot of money if he were to settle, because Mason was probably demanding thousands when Dutch thought he didn't deserve you know, very much other than the token amount and the domain back. So I can kind of see this from both sides. Now, how do you feel about this? Uh, but, well, I look at it from a different perspective in terms of, you know, I, I, I'm a lawyer. I, I don't practice much anymore, but uh, I've been a lawyer for uh, 20 years. And um, it, my understanding is this case actually went up to the fifth, fifth uh Circuit Court of Appeals was, in San Francisco. It was the ninth, actually, but yeah. Or the ninth. I'm sorry. Yeah, the fifth is actually my appellate court here in California. So, yeah, the ninth circuit, which is a federal court in San Francisco. And so uh, if it was a case that Mason got a judgment uh, in, let's say, Nevada uh, federal district court against um, against uh, Dutch, and then Dutch turned around and appealed, uh, from Mason's perspective, I could see him really being pissed because – now an appeal is time consuming and costly. And so if he had to go up to, to the Ninth Circuit in San Francisco and defend his um, uh, judgment up there because uh, Dutch, Dutch just filed a frivolous appeal to, uh, you know, to, to delay, uh, you know, execution on the judgment or whatever, um, that's, uh, you know, that's, um, you know, I, I could see Mason's perspective. On the other hand, if, if Mason's goal was really just to, you know, get the domains, domain names back and he occurred a couple of grand in attorney's fees, you know, he probably should have let it go. But, you know, Mason seems to me, I don't know him personally. I mean, I played at the same table with him. He's never looked like he's having fun when he's playing poker, which is kind of what I play. But, uh, you know, he always just seems to kind of have a, a dour attitude on things. And if he's just being vindictive, he probably should have just let it go for a couple of grand in attorney's fees. But if Dutch was the one who forced him to defend his judgment on appeal up in San Francisco, I could see where Mason would say, okay, the gloves are off. We're going to play. 
Yeah, no, I, you know, at this point when it had to go all the way to appeals, I, I understand why, you know, with all that money he spent, why he expects he wants the full judgment here. I, I was talking about more beforehand, at, at the very beginning, should Mason have gone to the attorney immediately and said, find out who this guy is and, uh, you know, demand to get the money back and or demand to get the domain back, demand to get whatever money he made back and your attorney's fees? Or should yeah, he I just... Find, I would find it kind of... Uh... Amazing that uh, his lawyer didn't say, yeah, let's just send a cease and desist letter and see the response. And then Dutch kind of flew up, uh, you know, you know, threw up his hands and said, I give up. You know, then I think it'd be vindictive on on Mason's point. But I don't I don't know all the particular nuances. Well, someone brought up that this law firm, which Mason has been using for a very long time, like 25 years. But uh, this law firm happens to specialize in these cyber squatting cases and they their strategy is to basically try to squeeze whoever they're uh, going after for money right up front and that's how they make their money feeling you know that usually that they threaten them with a hundred thousand dollar lawsuit the person getting is like oh my god a hundred thousand dollar lawsuit and yeah i know i'm guilty of this so crap maybe if i pay a few thousand of this go away it's worth it and that's how this law firm makes its money on these types of cases. That's not the only thing this law firm does, but that is what they do. And um, I don't feel bad for the cyber squatters. I think the cyber squatters are scum, actually. But but at the same time, uh, I have a feeling that this was a shoot first and ask questions later approach by Mason Malmuth rather than emailing and asking, give me this back. Now, I can speak from experience because... I was a victim of cyber squatting. ToddWittellis.com, which is now back in my hands, by the way. Uh, a jerk registered this the day after I won my bracelet, before I could. And then I did try to contact him. I didn't go to any lawyers. I contacted the guy and said, can you give this back to me? I told him I will pay even the cost of what it is to transfer to me. He said, F you, $1,500, please. So I said, F you. I tried to get it back through the uh, ICANN uh, domain you know, registration process to uh, recover cyber squatted domains because I had no trademark on my name, Todd Wattellis. There was no way for me to do it. So I lost that. And uh, how did I get it back? I don't even know. It, w- it was a gift from someone who didn't pay this guy any money, by the way. This, this, uh, somehow it was obtained back and not illegally, I was promised. So it's... <laughs> I have it back, and that's great. But uh, I was pissed, and I was not going to give the cyber squatter a penny. But at the same time, I wasn't trying to present the cyber squatter a legal bill for thousands of dollars before attempting to just ask him to give it to me. So uh, I've never heard from Mason why he did not just click contact us and say, hey, give this back and give me back any money you made from it. I, I don't think he did that. I think he went to the lawyers first. So I, th- I think a mistake was made that way if he really wanted to settle this amicably. Yeah, you know, it's 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 two guys that aren't really the most likable guys in the world. Yeah, that's and, true. You know, <laughs> so I, I don't think anyone's going to be losing any sleep over, uh, you know, uh, Dutch having to pay. Uh, no, I, I'm I'm not. I actually, it's true. I don't feel bad for either of them. Uh, so okay, uh, Venetian. This is a kind of disturbing story the venetian would not let poker news 
provide live coverage of a live coverage of a mid-states poker tour event that took place there. And the reason, and the company has issued a statement that confirms this. The reason they would not let Poker News cover there is because Poker News has a relationship with online poker sites. <laughs> what a dumb reason. So Poker yeah. News w- was excluded from covering this event. And, you know, I, I just, I'm just left scratching my head about this. This is a statement from uh, Kathy Raymond, executive director of Poker Operations at the Venetian. Given our chairman's clear position on the matter of online gaming, that's referring to Sheldon Adelson, uh, the Venetian Palazzo made a business decision not to allow an online blog during the Mid-States Poker Tour event. So that's really bad. You know, I've actually, I haven't been defending Sheldon Adelson, but I, I have been saying that I think the guy is just anti-online poker because he hates it. Not so much because of business interests, but just because he thinks it's a bad thing. He thinks, uh, in his twisted mind, he really honestly believes that live poker equals okay, online poker equals evil. And as as twisted as that might be, that's his opinion, and he's spending a lot of money to assert his opinion. And that's been my feeling about this thus far. But, you know, this just bothers me that... They're now excluding news organizations from covering tournaments in the Venetian because they support online poker. That's basically being the thought police. That's basically saying uh, because you know, poker news doesn't own online poker sites. Uh, poker news is a they're affiliates for a lot of online poker sites, but poker news they're a news organization who supports themselves uh, in part from people clicking on the affiliate links on their sites, but they're not an online poker site operator. And to ban them from covering the Venetian event there is really crappy. I know the Venetian is going to say, well, we don't want people reading about our event and then clicking on online poker links, but that's really starting to stretch it. And I think that's really coming off as, as the big brother thought police of, we're not letting anyone in here who thinks differently than we do. It's petty on their part to do that. Um, it's really kind of sad because I like the Venetian Hotel. Um, you know, I think it's a nice place to stay. I enjoy their poker room. I think they're it's a well-run poker room. And, uh, you know, but for them to, to, you know, shut out reporting, you know, just because of uh, somebody's, you know, fear, Adelson's fear that... Uh, Someone's going to go to an internet site, or somebody, you know, partially supports internet poker. Who I, I'm not personally an internet player, but I believe people have the right to make that choice if they want to do it. But I think it's just petty on their part uh, to, you know, quote punish somebody for really something that I mean, poker news isn't all about. I mean, I, I, I mean, it's what about freaking Card Player magazine that you can get uh, right in the Venetian uh, uh, poker room lounge there, and all the internet. Uh, all the internet uh, poker advertising and that that you can pick up right there in their poker room. That's true. I didn't know that, but you, you're saying you can actually pick up a card player and, and go uh, sign up for Lock Poker, or at least uh, you were able to until very recently, in the Venetian. That, that's hilarious. They they have that there. For, for some reason, they're picking, picking and choosing poker news uh, to not uh, have a presence there. That's terrible. 
Well, I need to qualify that a little bit. I, I haven't seen a copy of Card Player in there uh, in the last year because I haven't looked for okay. it because I don't read Card Player anymore. But uh, in the past, uh, Card Player was readily available there, you know, in the, in the little, you know, stands up front or whatever. Interesting. Interesting. So this is interesting also. Uh, the PPA, and let me say that since I uh, – I had my debate with uh, Rich Muni on this show about a year and a half ago. And uh, since then, uh, my relationship with Rich Muni himself and, and the PPA has improved some. And, uh, you know, we, we've come to understand each other some more. And I, I think that was seen in the PPA's involvement in the lock poker situation. A little bit late, but at least they got involved. Uh, but I've, I've got to criticize something again from them here. Uh, this is reported on PokerFuse. A survey conducted last year by the Poker Players Alliance, the PPA, specifically asked Californians about their past experiences with poker stars. According to the results, there is an extremely strong consumer sentiment in the state that would favor poker stars entering the California market. With more than 1,200 individuals polled, the PPA survey found that 82% rated poker stars as either excellent or very good. Another 82% agreed that poker stars demonstrates integrity to its customers. Only 2% disagreed while 16% had no opinion. (laughs) 2% disagreed. Crazy. Uh, Crazy that it wasn't more than that. Uh, a total of 84% of those surveyed believe that poker stars treated players well when the site operated in the U.S. A whopping 95% think that poker stars should be licensed in California if online poker is eventually legalized in the state. So uh, let me tell you the problem with this poll is that uh, you are polling a very biased group of people. You are polling people who like poker stars because they had the best support. They were the only ones of the major poker sites not to have stolen our money, sadly enough, you know, when Black Friday came. Uh, they have the best software. So, of course, most people's memories of poker stars are positive. That's why, especially the PPA supporters who uh, have typically been very, very pro poker stars, of course, only one out of 50 of them felt that poker stars didn't demonstrate integrity to his customers. But they do not. They demonstrate more integrity than all the other sites did that were operating illegally. I'll give them that. But they didn't demonstrate integrity overall, in my opinion. I think they all failed, just to various degrees. Poker stars had no problem stealing FPPs from people, you know, their value after promising that they were worth a certain amount in, uh, in marketing material. Uh, they had no problem stealing leftover FPPs. They had no problem covering up the room break-ins and laptop tamperings at the EPT Barcelona just so they could return there the next year. Poker Stars has done a lot of shady things. They've been better than the other rooms that stole our money, but they've done a lot of shady things. And, as I've said before, they took the chance by operating illegally and now have a huge competitive advantage over the companies in the U.S. that did not take that chance and did not operate illegally for all those years. So 
I don't think it's a very fair poll to say 95% of the people think PokerStars should be licensed in California, 82% think they have integrity, and only 2% think they don't. These are very, very biased people. I am sure that, um, let's say, uh, I were to take a poll as to, is Todd Wittellis a great guy? Well, I think if I took this poll to my family, I think I'd probably win 100% to zero. I think if I took it with my family and friends, again, I'd win 100% to zero. If I took it with my family, my friends, and close peers who aren't my friends, it probably wouldn't be 100 to zero. It'd be a very, very high number in my favor. If I took it with my family, my friends, my close peers, and people who listen to this radio show regularly or read my website regularly, I think I'd get a high number. But if you did it with the general public, at least the general public who knew of me, I would get a much lower number, not because I'm a bad guy, but because you would have a much greater cross-section of people, some of whom would be ones who don't like me for one reason or another. So it's important when you take these polls that you are really taking a cross-section of the population, not a section of the population that's very likely to go one way. And that's exactly what the PPA did. So this is a useless poll. How do you feel? Um, I, you know, I, I'm not really into online uh, poker all that much, so I really don't have an opinion on whether uh, PP. I mean, the, 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 obviously the poll itself is is flawed and, and skewed, but uh, uh, whether whether Poker Stars gets back into um, uh, California poker or not, uh, I really don't care. That's going to be hashed out by the legislature one way or the other. Who, whether it's Morongo and the, and the bike and Commerce throws more money than the Indian casinos. That's probably who's going to win in the long run. Yeah. So who, who lobby the best? Grenada Rogers says in the chat, Druff, they are polling people most likely to play and thus pay rake. A share of that goes to the state of California. It, yeah, but they're polling the people who are the pros or the people really into poker who probably had a close relationship with poker stars and probably ones who felt very happy that poker stars paid them right away when black friday happened if they want to get a real answer to this they should uh, they should pull everybody in the state of california or at least the people who say they would be likely to give it a try on poker stars not necessarily the regular poker players i think the recreational players opinion would be important here too uh so anyway uh I just wanted to, I, I got this link sent to me during the show in the chat room, and I, I felt it was a worthwhile thing to mention. Not not a huge deal that it was a kind of biased poll, but I just thought it was stupid. Something else I think is stupid. Annie Duke is giving business advice. <laughs> yeah. Annie Duke, whose business ventures include UB where she hung on there until near the bitter end. Just a few months before Black Friday, she and Helmuth bailed out after making a ton of money at the expense of players. I don't think she cheated directly, but the company sure made plenty of money That uh, and people were left holding the bag with balances on there at the end when Black Friday came, and she never gave anyone that money back. Uh, she also 
was a very major figure in the Epic Poker League, which was an epic fail and most notably promised a million-dollar free roll for people on the leaderboard of the Epic Poker League. And then when the league folded, those who had qualified for the million-dollar free roll didn't get to play it. And Annie, though, had no problem drawing a very large salary, as did former WSOP chairman Jeffrey Pollock. So uh, they made a ton of money while the players got the shaft. But that didn't stop Annie Duke to make a lot of stupid statements in a stupid article on Forbes.com. Forbes is another magazine I I used to respect, but the more I read Forbes.com, I I just facepalm reading this damn thing a lot of times. So they asked Annie, basically, why do people make bad business decisions? And Annie tried to relay, relate her experience in poker to business decisions. It says, you might not know that Annie pursued a PhD in psychology at the University of Pennsylvania prior to her poker career. Yeah, pursued, what does that mean? Uh, And that she has acute observations about executive decision-making, which, like poker, requires doing the right thing in high-stakes situation with imperfect information. Annie says that in her two decades in the World Series of Poker Circuit, she met many players who scaled the learning curve, then flattened out at mediocre. You'd see people making the same bad decisions for 20 years over and over. The biggest trap they fall into, Duke says, is that they judge their performance based on outcomes. If they win, it's because they made good decisions. If they lose, it's because they were unlucky. That mentality, according to Duke, is the kiss of death for any high-stakes decision-maker in poker, in business, and in no doubt of all areas of our lives. And keep in mind, I've personally seen Annie tilt badly before at the table in poker, more than once. In fact, um, the very first World Series event I played, where I finished third, the 1500 limit event, part of that was thanks to Annie tilting off her chips, of which I got a lot of them. Uh, This is an example Annie gives, again, to make herself uh, look like a genius. Duke says that humans are wired to connect the dots to find casualty. Or, sorry, causality. Causality. Yeah. She she describes how she'd try to read poker players who bet aggressively when she had decent but not great cards, in some instances based upon her years of experience, her knowledge of the player's history, and his current behavior, she'd connect the dots and conclude he was bluffing and go all in. If I found out he was actually holding aces, I learned never to blame bad luck. After the game, I'd replay, replay the hand in my head, review all the variables, and try to see whether the math was really on my side. If it was, I'd conclude I did the right thing. If it wasn't, I'd ask, what can I learn from that? What she described is described as outcome-blind analysis of decisions. Do consists that all great poker players think this way. In fact, she has a small peer of elite players, a, sp- a small peer group of elite players who regularly get together and talk shop. When we told each other the story of a hand, we wouldn't mention whether we won or lost. It was all about the behaviors, the variables, the decisions, not the outcome. Bullshit. I don't know if she got together with other players to discuss poker hands, but there's no way they had an agreement. Oh, we're not going to tell each other our hands. We're just going to say what happened in the hand and and whether uh, we made the right decision. Like, that's BS. I'm, I'm sure the outcome was explained also. It's possible it was presented in a way a lot of times hands are given on the forum where part of the hand is is posted 
opinions are asked and then the poster says afterwards what really happened. But uh, I think this is a lot of BS and Annie is known to lie about a lot of things. Uh, She says, the key is to create a culture where you take pride in your decision-making process so you can deal with bad outcomes. (laughs) Okay, Annie. What about your decision-making process with the Epic Poker League? How about its ridiculous plan that was never going to succeed when everybody who was watching it from the outside was saying that this is a terrible plan and that it's going to lose a fortune and that you're never going to be able to afford to have this million-dollar free roll? And indeed, after players get all excited about it and play in your tournaments with the belief they will get the million-dollar free roll if they're on the leaderboard, and then they don't. What business decisions there led to that happening? Where were your right decisions in that one? And where was the right decision to maybe give back some of your salary to have that free roll? Why didn't you and Jeffrey Pollock do that? So Annie Duke and Howard, too, they love to get on the soapbox, talk about how smart they are, talk about how in tune they are with everything, Uh. Pretty much they speak like they're constantly teaching you something. Like they're smart and you're dumb. And uh, they talk down to you. You're supposed to look up to them and look at them and say, hey, they're successful and you're a failure. Yeah, look look how successful they are. Howard running a company that's stole from everybody. Annie Duke also in a company that stole from everybody twice. And then running an epic poker league that again, misled the players and did not give them what it promised while she drew a large salary. They made their money by being unethical, not by being smart. Anyway, uh, my favorite part is if you discuss all the variables and get buy-in from the entire team on the probabilities assigned to each of these variables, people feel good about the intellectual honesty and quality of the decision-making process. I don't think anybody associates any Duke with intellectual honesty. Intellectual honesty or any kind of honesty. So what a dumb yeah. article. Yeah, and in the business world, you know, it, it, you don't go to your boss and say, hey, you know, it didn't really work out, but look at all the correct decision-making we analyzed. You know, <laughs> in the business world, people want results. They yeah. don't want, you know. Yeah. Now, I, I tend to agree with her about, you know, you generally, generally want to try to analyze things without considering the outcome, uh, if if you can. But the world is results oriented, and you know whoever did this article did a poor job of doing their homework ahead of time before they went through the interview. The best interviewers are people that are prepared. Obviously, whoever did this interview did not do the background research. Uh, to determine whether she was, in fact, a credible spokesperson for the ideas that she was putting forth. Yeah. Someone in chat says uh, (laughs) they are smart. They've never gone to jail. They're like politicians. Yeah, that person has a good point. So uh, anyway, they both made a lot of money from uh, ill-gotten gains and – and you're right, though. It's In the business world, it's not about I made the right decision – 
I lost a lot of money, but I'm going to come back tomorrow and make money. The business world, if you fail, if you keep losing money, either your company's going to go broke or you're going to go broke or they're going to fire you. You don't, you don't get to keep saying, well, I made the right decision. It just didn't work out. That's, you're right. It's totally results-driven. And uh, Even my wife doesn't buy that one when I play poker, right? Oh, I played really great today. Well, you know. You you busted out of the tournament, yeah. You know, but but I but I really made the right decisions, right? You know, from, yeah. from the layperson's standpoint, they don't want to hear it. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, I I even have uh, I have to admit, when I lose, even if I think I played really well, it's only a small consolation to me. I still go home thinking, crap, I, I'm poorer than when I started the game, and. Uh, um, I, I should have done better, even even if it wasn't my fault why I didn't do better. And then I'll try to find ways it was my fault, uh, because you usually don't play perfectly, and uh, it's, it's easier to fo- to focus on what mistakes you might have made if things didn't go well than if they did. But the bottom line: if you keep failing, if you keep losing, you keep losing. And that's that's the bottom line. You can't say, "Well, I I should have won, but I didn't." Uh, that only works if you can repeat it enough times to where the skill will overcome the luck but in business you can't do that in business you uh, uh if you have a few failures in a row or even sometimes one big failure you're gone so it, it's totally different you can't apply the same thinking so yeah, it's just a bad bad analogy it, in my, in my, my, or my opinion it is it is a bad analogy so i guess the last thing here and I, it's been a while since i've had a, a co-host so uh it feels funny doing editorial uh, with a co-host, but I'll be glad. I'll keep to... my mouth shut. You no, can... you, you don't have to keep your mouth shut. But I'll <laughs> be glad to ask you at the end about uh, how you feel about what I'm saying here, and it's related to something early in the show, and that is, I want everybody to take a moment and think critically about any kind of claims made by poker players when something bad has happened to them. And I don't mean they lose at the poker table. I mean something that usually involves violence and or theft. There's the infamous Scott Montgomery bathroom story in the Bellagio. Scott Montgomery supposedly was confronted by a black guy in the Bellagio bathroom, of course a place with no cameras, and uh, a guy with a knife. Scott Montgomery then gave up all the money on him, $2,600. This happened like you know, four years ago or so. Gave up his $2,600 on him. And the black guy ran out. For whatever reason, Scott Montgomery waited 15 minutes to report this to security and then did not file a police report, or at least if he did, he won't say that he did. I tweeted to him over and over and over, well, not that many times, but I made sure he got it, asking, did you file a police report? And he intentionally ignored that question from me and anybody else who asked it. So the answer, obviously, is no. So why would Scott Montgomery not run immediately to security? Why wait 15 minutes after getting mugged in the bathroom like that? Especially if maybe you can catch the guy still if he hasn't completely gotten away from the property. And then why not go to the police? Well, we never figured out exactly why, but there's some speculation that maybe Scott Montgomery was broke and this 2600 was loaned to him 
and he had to explain where it went, and he really shot it off somewhere he shouldn't have, like at the blackjack tables. It could have been one of many things. But whatever it is, uh, the story wasn't true. Maybe it was just for attention, but it, it almost surely wasn't true because he didn't act like someone who is the victim of a crime like that. He, he just didn't act the proper way that you would expect one to act after they've been a victim of a mugging in a bathroom there at Bellagio. You don't saunter over to security 15 minutes later. And he wasn't injured at all. And, and then uh, not file a police report. Well, we've heard various stories from the Rio this year. We've heard about thefts in a room where two girls' laptops were stolen and so were their sanitary bags and sunglasses. We heard about on the same night after these girls tweeted about what happened to them that two guys with 35K in their backpacks had the money stolen from their room that for some reason they decided not to put the money in the safe before leaving their room. And for some reason it happened the exact same night as the reported laptop thefts. We have a guy who said that he was mugged in the parking lot and knocked out and taken to a vehicle and beaten and then thrown out. When in reality... He was doing a drug deal that went bad. We have a lot of stories that seem sensational on the surface and to where your first reaction is to go, oh my God, the Rio is a terrible place. Oh my God, security is awful. Oh my God, the, the, the rooms aren't safe there. The staff must be corrupt. Oh my God, the Bellagio bathroom is not safe. I'm just going to hold it. I'm going to bring a bottle and piss in a bottle under the table. I'm afraid to go in there. A black guy is going to rob me there. Because it's easy to identify with these people because you're doing the same thing as they are. And when you hear about what happened to them, supposedly, you picture yourself. You picture yourself in the Bellagio bathroom getting mugged. You picture yourself coming back and finding your laptop gun from your hotel room. You picture yourself having your money stolen from your hotel room or getting mugged in the Rio parking lot. And these become very real to you and you want to lash out at whoever you feel is responsible and feel bad for the victims. But it's not always the victim's It's not always the Rio's fault. Sometimes the victim is making it up for attention to cover up how they lost the money otherwise or for some other stupid reason. Now, that's not to say every report like this is false. Uh, there was the incident last year at the Rio. We had an individual on here named Eric Sonstegar, Willing to Die is his screen name, who did have money stolen and his iPad stolen from the Rio, and the Rio did try to cover it up. So that really did happen. We've had uh, the EPT Barcelona situation, where I believe very much that these reports of laptop tamperings and room break-ins and collusion with the security staff there to cover it up and perhaps perpetrate their crime really happened. We have horrific violent crimes that have happened to poker players, such as uh, what happened to uh, uh, that guy in the UK who was uh, uh, recently killed by a uh, prostitute and and her, uh, her accomplices after uh, you know they were robbing him, after setting him up. There's Greg Raymer, 
who was attacked at the World Series, not the World Series of Poker, at the, uh, in the Bellagio hallway going to his room by people who wanted to rob him. Uh, we had the other situation of, uh, what was it, Joe Cada? Yeah, it was Joe Cada who got robbed, another main event champion, by his ex-girlfriend and thugs that she had come over and beat him up. I mean, there are people in poker who have had very disturbing and violent events befall them. We even had uh, that guy in Cleveland who's, uh, who got followed home from the casino and those guys came to his door and threatened to kill him if he didn't give up his 150 k that was in the house. These things all happened. But it's important to not immediately jump and tell the victim how sorry you are and blame whoever you, you want to blame for allowing this to happen. But looking at it all seriously, looking at it all with a sound mind and a logical mind. And if something looks suspicious about the story, don't be afraid to call the person out or at least ask them some questions without directly accusing them. And if you don't want to get involved, then that's fine too. But don't give them your sympathy or your attention if the story seems fishy, unless you want to call them out. There are so many legitimate things to... Or was, sorry, it's Joe Hamill, not Joe, Joe Kata. Thank you for the chat room correcting that China maniac. I confuse all these damn main event winners. But anyway, it's very easy to blame an entity like the Rio for everything. And the Rio deserves a lot of blame. Caesars deserves a lot of blame for a lot of stupid things they do. But don't blame them when it shouldn't be something they should get blamed for. And in situations like that board operator of the single-table satellites trying to get greased, again, that's not the Rio's fault. They had a bad employee, and they got rid of him when it was brought to their attention. That's all you can ask. So any criticism you bring to organizations like the Rio, make sure that it's valid criticism and not just jumping in with the hype. So uh, how do you feel about uh, my well, statement? That, uh, that first story uh, was kind of funny because I, I actually happened to somebody that I know. Uh, I don't play in our local casino here at the Golden West anymore, but uh, one of my buddies, Randy, went into the bathroom, and a guy went in behind him and robbed him and took all his money and ran out. And the funny thing about it, it was a play, another player we all knew. So our buddy comes out of the, out of the bathroom and says, Reggie just robbed me. You know what I mean? It was like, you know, and he ran across the street and they called the cops and they've been, I mean, I'm sure he went and eventually did some time. But in terms of, of, of these, these robbing, alleged robbings and all this other stuff, um, I think Carl Sagan said it best when he said extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence. Yep. So if something unusual happens, uh, you got to see, you know, you, you, you know, you want to trust people in the world. Um, and it's, you know, you want to trust people, particularly when they tell you they've been victimized, but you know, you got to take it with a grain of salt. And if they make something that's a claim out of the ordinary, I want to see some evidence to back it up other than their word. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, I, I think we're at the end here. You've brought a lot of good insight to the show. It was a uh, good, uh, Thought we covered a lot of good topics. I thought uh, 
that uh, you did a good job here in the co-hosting chair. And I enjoyed I, it, Druff, and uh, I look forward to seeing you on the 20th, and let's get to that final table and have a little duel. Yeah, you know, I, I hope you don't end up at my table for a while because I've described a lot of my strategies and stuff on here, and then, like, you're going to go, oh, I know what Druff's doing here because he talked about it. Like, I, I, I always fear that. Just that's do the someone... opposite. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's all I'll have to do if I see you there. I'll to uh, do what you wouldn't expect me to do. And you know, uh, not what I'm used to doing. You know, but you you know what it's like playing those limit tournaments. I mean, I've been playing for a year. You see about the same uh, hundred guys over and over and over again. So you eventually get a line on people's play. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I know. So anyway, uh, we'll both be in the 1500 limit, and uh, hopefully it'll be down to the final two between uh, you and I, and uh, it'll be an all poker fraud alert heads up match. That's. Uh, what I hope for there at the 1500 limit. Bring me a hat. I'll wear it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll bring you a hat, definitely. In fact, you know, anybody who co-hosts this show, I'll, I'll give them a hat. No problem. So I, I'm going to be getting the hats maybe this Saturday. I, I actually meant to set up a game tonight to win a hat, but I forgot. So we'll do it next week. Speaking of next week, I will be back at its normal time, Tuesday, 6.30 p.m., just like this one. And uh, sadly, no World Series events for me between this show and next one. So we're actually having two consecutive shows right in the heart of the World Series where I have not played any events since the previous show. So uh, I, starting the 20th, which I know is the next event you're playing too, uh, I'm going to be running off six events at least in the World Series of Poker, six on the schedule to play. So I'm uh, looking forward to doing a bit better than I did in these first few where I bricked him and anyway good luck to you and all pots that are not against me and, and good uh, luck to the PFA community out there have a great week yeah and, and definitely you know as soon as you see me introduce yourself because I have no idea what you look like so, that might be good maybe, maybe I won't introduce myself to yeah I'll have to keep a copy of this show so I can I can listen to your voice and uh, pick it out of the crowd there so I'll be the quiet one with headphones on yeah <laughs> All right, so we'll be back a week from tonight, and uh, hopefully with a bigger free roll. don't know why this week it was small, but it happens occasionally. And hopefully next week we will still be alive in the Ivy and Negranu bracelet bed. And right now on the schedule, two weeks from now, we should have the show too, but that might have some interference with events I'm playing, so we will have to see. It would actually be a good thing if I don't do the show two weeks from now. It'll mean I'm deep in something. All right, so this is Todd Dandruff with Telus, uh, with our special co-host tonight, Jay. And we'll see you next week here on Poker Fraudler Radio, analyzing, discussing everything crazy and stupid happening at the World Series of Poker. We'll see you next week, and shalom.